everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast that happens every week. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. And we have a special guest, Em. Hi, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any other guests on this podcast? No. no. Okay. Uh, Nora has, like, popped in here and there. All right. <laughs> yeah. Nora's, right. like, been in the room and been like, oh, I'll, you know, wander into this recording. <laughs> That's about no, it. I'm, I'm just, I will choose to be flattered. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the only invited guest, and that's what matters. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> uh, so it's been a little while. Um, and we, we did, we did that for listeners. It's been a week. Yeah, oh, no, that true. episode was really fun. I had a, that was good. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was two weeks for some reason. Because I don't know we why. recorded it, we recorded it like on a Tuesday. Oh, or it's... a Wednesday or something. It's because it took a week to come out, and also I got sick between now and then, and so my ti- my sense of time yeah. is just destroyed. Anyway, uh, I was going to ask if you watched any movies, but I see in the spreadsheet here that I'm supposed to talk first about movies well, I've watched. Well, yeah, I f- like, usually whenever you have one that you watch for something else where you're going to talk about it on the like premium podcast that people have to pay yeah. for, I just have you do it first, where you do the stairwell rating. <clears throat> okay, so first up, I watched Rock and Roll High School a film starring the Ramones for uh, Pop Town Funk. Nora and I will be recording that Pop Town Funk on Sunday, I guess, question mark? Uh, so look forward to that. But the stairwell rating for that, I'm going to give it a B. They put some stairs in there. Yeah. I have nothing that positive or negative to say. Maybe a C, now that I think about it. I'm going to give yeah. them a C. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's a, that's all my rock and roll high school thoughts. Basically, I thought that movie was okay. Nora hated it. We'll get into it on the podcast in a day or two. (laughs) I feel like the quintessential vision of a high school is a multi-story building, but my high school was infamously flat one level. Um, so I just feel like I lost something about the school experience. I... It's weird because you've mentioned on other podcasts that like your high school was featured in a movie I've seen. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, it's an election. <laughs> election was shot at my high school about three years before I went to that high school. It's weird to like know what your high school looks like. <laughs> yeah, no, it was weird watching it. Like, oh, I've just been to a lot of the places where this was shot because it's just shot around where I still live. I, I drive by the high school every time I go to Target. So <laughs> it's now had like three additions to it. It looks gross now. I hate it. Part of what's weird to me about it being a flat one level is I grew up in rural Michigan and still had a two level high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I. My high school was very weird because uh, when it was first built, it was a small town of, like, 200 people. Um, and then, like, ballooned into being, like, when I was young, like, 40,000 people. And so, like, the there's a building, and then they added a level to it that looks awful. And then there was, like, a second building because we really just needed a second high school at a certain point, but they didn't want to build one. It, it that I high mean, school it was a like weird. Kind of did. <laughs> it was a weird mess. Yeah, we had we had like longer uh, uh, periods between classes than any other school within like fifty miles because it literally just took you a while to get from one building to the next. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that's Rock and Roll High School. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I will put in. So the the thing here, um, I accidentally fell into watching three double features, and so there were two other movies I watched, and then I decided to make double features out of them. Mm-hmm. So one of them was that I had already watched Duel, and today I decided to watch Christine to do the double feature of Vehicles That Want to Kill You. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, really, both of these are just horror movies about a vehicle trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, Duel, ostensibly, there's a driver in there that is trying to kill the main character. Is there, though? But, like, <laughs> they go to great lengths to never show you the driver. Like, is there a driver in there? They do technically credit the driver who is the stunt driver. Well, yeah. But he does appear in the bar scene. There's one part where it, like, is panning, and then it's, there's a close-up on a guy's face, and he kind of looks over his shoulder at, like, the main character. And that is the stunt driver. So, technically, that is the driver of the truck. Anyway, that movie's sick. Yeah, that movie's fucking great. <laughs> um, yeah, both of them are... Like, the thing about both of these movies are that, like, the the premise of them are inherently kind of just goofy and dumb. Uh-huh. Um, both of them kind of work, although Duel works way more as a horror movie than Christine, the actual horror movie about a car that wants to kill you that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of it is that, like, Basically, Duel is just all about, like, you are in a car stuck in the desert being, like, tormented by this truck, and it just escalates and escalates until it's literally trying to kill you. I mean, it starts, like, with, like... Duel is, like, in some ways, the Book of Job of just, like, I don't know why this is happening to me, but horrible things just keep happening to me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, By this, like, one truck, specifically. Um, God has chosen me to... Um, Whereas, like, Christine has so much else going on in it yeah. it's about like the fetishization of cars by like uh american men and things it's like trying to be a high school movie sometimes not often but yeah. every now and then it slips into it um both of them are good for different reasons but if you want a movie that's just about a vehicle trying to kill you uh duel is honestly better <laughs> christine rocks though christine does rock they do light the car on fire yeah and then someone has to drive it yeah Someone else has to run away from the burning car. One of the things that's so great about uh, Duel... So the the truck that is, like, tormenting this guy through all of it has... It's like a tanker truck. And it says in giant letters on the back, flammable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the, like, longest, like, you know at some point that truck is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but of course it has to be there again because it's the, like... Yeah. The villain of the movie. Yeah. So... Um, Spoilers, the, the flammable truck does explode. <laughs> um, but yeah, after both of these, they both take place primarily in on like roads where, where cars can kill people. <laughs> There's technically a staircase like in the, the shop, the body shop, where um, the main character in um, Christine. Christine is like fixing stuff up. Nobody goes up and down it. Oh, right. That's the same guy who was in... Um... Dress to kill. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Harry Dean Stanton's in. Oh right, Christine he is. As well as the cop, he shows up like randomly, and it's a yeah. joy. I saw him in the like beginning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, credits, and I was like, he's in this. And then I forgot by the time I got to him actually showing up. Yeah, and it's then like I an was, hour in. Yeah, and then I was excited all over again. But yeah, after both. Okay. Uh. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, 80s, like, 
FX horror pictures. Uh, I watched Reanimator on a whim the other night. Fuck uh, yeah. Reanimator fucking rocks, dude. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm I actually due for a revisit because I love Jeffrey Combs so much. You aren't at the part where Jeffrey Combs is in like multiple Star Trek shows and major roles, but look forward to that. Oh, fun. Which one is he? Is he um, the... He is, he is the guy in Reanimator. Okay, okay. He's not like the the other like good-natured kid or whatever. He's the evil fucked up one. Yes. yes. Okay, cool. I'm excited for more of him because he is a delight in this movie. This movie is... It, it's totally carried by the like super over-the-top special effects, but I actually really liked all the actors just hamming it up in this movie. Uh, I thought mm. all the actors did a really good job. Him especially, though. Um. Uh, not much to say about Reanimator. It's like the most like generic '80s horror movie. But that's not why you're watching it. You're watching it because the effects are cool, you know. And yeah. the effects are indeed sick as hell. <laughs> um, um. So yeah, I don't really have much to say. Uh, other than yeah, that movie rocks. <laughs> oh, stairs. Um. I'm going to give him an A+, because uh, a lot of the, um, one of the main sets in that movie, another, a good movie for, like, um, there's only, like, three sets that they use a bunch, um, but one of them is in a basement, uh, in a secret lab, whatever, uh, and stairs get used a bunch, um, they're pretty good, would, like, maybe give it an S, maybe, but I don't, I don't think it quite hits that level, you know? Yeah. Um... Go watch Reanimator. It's also like 90 minutes long, so like there's no reason not to. Yeah, I do <laughs> Yeah. I've been meaning to check that one out, so. I meant I'm... to check it out like two years ago and didn't, and then, because the director died, and I was like, oh, I should finally watch yes. that, and then I didn't. If, you, then... if you've seen Reanimator and you would like another Stuart Gordon film, uh, it's not as like popular, but you should watch Robot Jocks, the 1990 post-apocalyptic mecha fighting movie. Oh, that sounds incredible. like a hoot. It's uh, really, really one. corny, and it's very yeah. good. <laughs> uh, uh, time the... for... Oh. oh go, go. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm, I was just going to move on to my next double feature, but... Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um. So, right now, like, everybody is watching Nope mm-hmm. by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just need to... I, like, basically still knew nothing about it somehow, so I also is, know like, nothing about it. So. Don't check Maine. Yeah, I'm not going to talk too yeah. much about it. I don't want to like go into detail. Um, but I I like have heard basically everything about us, but I never saw us because it fell right around the period of time. Like it came out in theaters, like in the vicinity of having a baby. Mm-hmm. And you don't go to theaters when you have a baby. Right. You can't like leave the home really, <laughs> except with the baby strapped to your chest most right. of the time. Yeah. Um, and after that, like, there's a, a period of time too where like sleep is just weird for a small child. Uh huh. Um, and so you don't really have time to sit down and like watch a movie, and you're especially not going to like put on a horror movie even if you, the child's like sleeping on your chest or something. Right. Um. So. I finally got around to watching it. Um, it's It was my least favorite Jordan Peele movie, but I think some of that is that I just already knew all... Like, I knew literally every single plot twist. That's yeah. some... a shame, because I, yeah. I like Us way more than uh, Get Out. I somehow still don't know much at all. Like, yeah. 
I know kind of the premise from the trailer. I should try to like cross that off my list this week now you that should. it's spooky. It's season. really good. I just yeah. think it's like it's like a little weirder, and it's like less. It's like it like is willing to sit in the idea that it's like talking about more than I feel like Get Out is like playing a little broad. It's like you know that one's like a real crowd pleaser, and I think it works. Um, yeah. I just think this is a little slower and a little more contemplative, and I just happen to really dig it. I don't know. One, okay. one thing I did really enjoy about us was that um, it did really just feel like he was kind of doing like his version of schlocky horror movie. Um, mm. It's like not quite to the level of like absolute schlock of some stuff that you, you know, it's not like no, no, full no. slasher level or something, but it is a little bit more like, okay, you have like your, your basic like body snatcher premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you're just going to kind of explore that. Okay. As a horror trope, really, okay. it, it isn't isn't like I wouldn't say it's like a Giallo film, but it it it, ha- it reeks of like Italian horror cinema that is not Giallo to me. Yeah, like it's okay. a little slow, it's a little thoughtful, and then when stuff happens, it's like goes for it. Um, yeah, and, and you just I, get I like that. some good blood and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I I really enjoyed Nope. Um, some of this is. Uh, the like faintest premise here that I will just give. Uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail, but it is like about a UFO. It's about a UFO mm-hmm. sighting. I knew that and, much. Yeah, which I didn't even know that going in. I was just like, I know it's called Nope, and pe- everybody's watching it, and I just haven't heard anything about it, and I'm going to watch it now before um, I learn anything else. Yeah. So one. Uh, aliens scare me more than anything else. It's just a thing from when I was a little kid. Um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but my Oma believed that she was abducted by aliens. Um, and that the Roswell crash happened a few days before my dad was born. And she believes that that was the aliens coming back to abduct her again and take her child. (laughs) And they crashed thankfully on the way. And my, I like, and I just got told this as a child at a point where like, I didn't fully believe it, but my grandma believed it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that just has an impression on you and makes you extremely scared of aliens. Um, so I was just like hor- horrifically afraid of aliens oh. um, as a kid. It was like the most scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still just get a little bit of like alien stuff just still like freaks me out a little bit more than mm-hmm. other like horror movie tropes when it is specifically this like, oh, like UFO kind of stuff. Um Star Wars aliens are completely different. That's just yeah. fantasy speed. You're talking about Close Encounters. Yes. Close Encounters is the least scary of the Aliens movies, but there's still something unsettling to me about it. But it's a How movie that's like... How do you feel about like Signs? A, that bad movie, but scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably my this like scariest um, of Shyamalan movies to me. Um, I, I don't know when you why. see the alien, it does detract a little bit. I saw, I saw the happening in at science, a friend's house before I really knew like yeah. his reputation as a director. And so there was a brief time where I thought the happening was kind of scary. And then I was like, I thought about it for two days. I was like, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I guess the other thing I'll just say about Nope is it, is definitely like I think budget reflects this, but it is his most blockbustery work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like I just feel like his directing is at a different level here, where like he's able to pull off this really good blockbuster. 
Nice. Um, in a way that like us is not doing that kind of like really fun, like, wow, I can't believe like two hours or whatever went by as I was watching this suspenseful movie kind of blockbuster feel. So, um, especially like the last part of the movie just kind of feels unlike the other movies, like his other movies. Um, it feels like he's like hitting at something else. So, um, I do recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Um, for us, I gave an A plus because stairs is kind of a big thing. Mm. Uh, there's multiple stair scenes, but like the big one is like going down the stairs and meeting the the like doppelganger for the first time, and then like stairs recur around that, and it's kind of part of the they live underground. Right, it's like one of the core uh, images involved in that. Um, there's a great shot of like a, a escalator, like an extremely tall escalator. Um, and then for Nope, I did an F minor, like an F, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's maybe stairs in the house, but I don't really remember a scene on stairs. I think there's maybe a part where they briefly go up some stairs to go into like, to meet with a character. None of them feel like stairwell scenes. I don't remember what they look like. Um, it is not what is like. The horror is not around stairs at all in this movie. It's about That's UFOs. It's like stuff outside. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can maybe like knock it up to like a D minus because now I do vaguely remember a set of stairs, at least one. But, um, yeah, that's the two Jordan Peele, my double feature Jordan Peele. Uh, next up here, Em, I have your secret thing. I don't know what it is. Okay, so, um, I have another movie podcast, if you only listen to this one, called Repertory Screenings. It currently is taking two weeks off because scheduling's hard. Um, but Jackson's been bothering me to watch a classic film for months now that I decide to finally get around to watching, uh, and we talk about here, not there, because, um, it's maybe the most famous stairs in all of cinema. I watched Battleship Potemkin. <laughs> you can confirm that like the moment M said uh, Jackson's been bothering me to watch this for a while I just started typing in Battleship Potemkin <laughs> um, which is the uh, Eisenstein film from 1925 um, that according to Letterboxd I saw in 2013 and I don't remember a single bit of this movie other than the big famous stare thing, which I've seen in other places. Um, so I don't know if 2013 me was just on some shit or what. I don't know. Um, but um, I did not remember having seen it. I watched it. I thought it was fine. <laughs> it, uh, my, so I get why Jackson was like, oh, it's it's because Jackson's watched this and watched a bunch of their silent stuff and then uh, watched Metropolis, thought Metropolis was mid. And I think that's the fundamental difference between us as people. I'll always sit down to watch fucking Metropolis. I think the like vision and uh, the impressionistic way it depicts the spaces and story it's telling just hit for me in a way that Battleship Potemkin's like realism is just, I get it. I'm, I'm already a communist. You don't have to sell me this. I understand. <laughs> um, to, to quote Peter Griffin, it insists upon itself. It's fine. It's fine. I liked it, but I was like, uh, yeah, I sat through this and I agree. It's great. I think I think in actuality that battleship would have opened fire on all those people and killed them all, but I guess they didn't. Not so much for realism, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, which is the most muted response to a classic film that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's easy to have the space because everyone I know loves this movie. You know, I don't need to defend Battleship Potemkin. It's fucking Battleship Potemkin. Yeah. Uh, so I can be a little <laughs> cheeky about it, I guess. The the thing about, like, Eisenstein to me is, because um, I, I studied a bunch of, like, film theory and also, like, film production stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read... Uh, Vertov and Eisenstein. Um, and Eisenstein has all these like really big messages about like this kind of editing and how this kind of editing is going to like promote this communist message. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you watch his stuff and it is incredible for the time that he is doing these things. But yeah. the other thing is he invented the techniques to tell stories that Hollywood uses. Yes. And so history has proven that like, no, your style is not inherently communist. Right. <laughs> that is true. Ziga Vertov stuff still feels electric to me in a way mm-hmm. that like hasn't been brought into the mainstream in the same way. Hmm. And so yeah. I've always prefer- preferred Ziga Vertov stuff, even though I think his writing is less convincing his actual work convinces me better than Eisenstein's does. Huh. Okay. Um, but also, like, Ziga Veritov is just like a weirdo fucking documentarian, which that's my shit. Just give me weirdo <laughs> fucking documentarians. Um, and I, I'm definitely like, you know, being a downer because I'm allowed to in this space, mm, right? It, it's right. fine. It's I had a totally decent time. Um, I've just seen my, more, like... Silent films, I agree with less, but hit harder for me. Just what I'm looking for out of a film. Um, yeah, it was fine. I, I thought the bit with the uh, the the meat was all good. I thought that was the best bit right at the beginning. Oh yeah, that meat stuff good. Is, that meat stuff at the beginning is great. Yeah, with the like maggots and everything. Yes. Oh, that shot of the maggots. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know what y'all are talking about. I don't. I don't know, but I think I've seen this. Yeah. Um. The beginning, there's like spoiled meat on the ship. Yeah, there, and they're like, was... oh, it's good. These aren't worms; they're maggots. So you could just wash them off with brine and eat the meat. And then the guy makes borscht out of it. It's what kicks off Oof. the unrest that causes the whole thing. Yeah, I was definitely in a class where somebody showed definitely the steps and maybe something else. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I still do enjoy that. It is one of the most banger stairwells in all cinema history like yes you haven't done a grading but yeah (laughs) there's no there's no there's no uh getting around that one Um, some of the most infamous (laughs) stairs in in all of cinema or famous i guess yeah um my next yeah double feature i guess so uh this one it kind of works i just talked about documentary stuff i watched two documentaries um, so one of them was my survival as an Aboriginal, uh, which is from 1979, uh, and it is made by the like main subject of the film, uh, S.E. Kofi, who, um, let me, let me double check the, the name of the specific tribe. Um, but, uh, it's, it's like interesting because it's specifically her making this movie about like this is the way of life um this is not helpful (laughs) (laughs) i i brought it up on uh letterboxd and letterboxd is just says aboriginal culture which is um overly broad um 
I just want to make sure I'm getting the, the specific tribe right, because I remember... Anyway, um, I will pull this up while I am talking. Um, but yeah, so she's making this film about, like, specifically, like, here's how we look for food in the bush. Um, here's how we would, like, uh, kill and cook a porcupine and stuff. And a lot of it is specifically her with, like, um, basically children or like younger uh kids and she's like teaching them how to do these things and then also there's a camera rolling um and there's a lot of uh like voiceover stuff um as well where she's talking about things there's a part that like feels uh in a way that some of the other stuff has like that tinge of uh this is a little bit more like, this isn't, like, a huge film crew, and so it has that, like, slight tinge of home movie feel to it. But there's a part where she's just having everybody in her extended family come and stand all in a line, and the camera's just recording them, and she just tells you who each person is. Um, which is just the most home movies thing possible. Like, right. my, like, grandpa on my mom's side did this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, part of... I thought it was really fascinating to see a... Um, documentary that was specifically like her making it from her point of view um and putting onto film like i'm never gonna live a white man's life like i i'm like making this proclamation um it's also a thing that is interesting because so much of the funding for it just came from like art groups in australia that Mm -hmm. were probably primarily white people yeah um the reason why i like people can still watch this is because it was like preserved by museums and stuff. Mm. Um, so there's just like a, a weird part of, um, any of any kind of like project like this, especially at the time. Um, I feel like there's been a, a greater, um, like the technology that you need, the budget that you need to make even a really simple film has lowered drastically where I think there's like more space for people to create these things outside of, um, like getting these certain systems. Yeah. Um, but I, that's a part that I find kind of, um, interesting in it. Let me just search. Um, uh, Murawari. Uh, she's, she's Murawari. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then it, it inspired me to, to rewatch, um, The Good Times Are Killing Me, which I would also like to watch with you at some point because most, like, a good half of it is about, um, this kind of Cajun country, uh, accordion player, singer. Um, it, parts of it have, like, big, uh, cocaine and rhinestones vibes to it. Um, but this I think was, this, I think this comes up in cocaine and rhinestones. Yeah, it might, uh, or at least like um, Nathan Abshire might. Yeah. Um, but who's the the like Mister Accordion? Maybe it's just because I was listening to it, you brought it up to me a while back. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Or like I listened to that episode about Cajun music. Yeah. But anyway, oh, this was produced by TV TV, which they are. Uh, like documentary group that was based around the development of the Porta Pack, uh, which was still like more feasible for a group of people to like all go in and buy one, but it was video, which meant you could, if you had a bad shoot, you could just tape over it. 
um, it wasn't the same as film stock where like every single thing you just have to shoot again. Mm-hmm. You need more stock. Um, and the porta pack is still like a, a large device, um, like with a separate sound person and things, but it was, it was still far more portable than like television cameras or even most like larger film cameras. Um, and so this like gorilla TV movement developed where they were making, um, documentary and like television that was specifically like, Hey, we can kind of like get into these places where other people aren't going mm-hmm. and we can make these things and we can have a little bit more of an outsider perspective. Um, and so it is still this like TV TV group going to, uh, Louisiana and like trying to record and capture this, uh, you know, dying Cajun culture. Um, but it, it really has a similar vibe of like a lot of people are just like, Hey, why don't you just come over to like my house tonight? Uh, cause we're going to get ready for Mardi Gras and we'll just like make jokes the whole time and things. Um, everything is like very free and loose in a way that, um, like certain documentarians can achieve, but I feel like part of the magic of the Porta Pack was that um, you could really just like keep rolling and you could tape over stuff if you didn't think that there was anything good on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you could kind of do this like uh, a little bit of cinema verite thing, but at like a much lower cost. Um, and so it's just a, it's one of my favorite documentaries. Um, I don't even think it's on Letterboxd because it's like a small made for tv documentary mm-hmm. but um it's fucking great people can go to mediaburn.org if they want to watch it um and yeah it is again one of the comparisons i also have for it is the salesman um because some of it is also just very depressing as like nathan Absher is like i'm like old i like playing music isn't fun anymore my culture is dying. Like my son went to prison. Uh, so it's kind of depressing, but it's still great. (laughs) Um, I did put F. So definitely F I'm not even going to do a question mark. I'm like positive that it's F for my survival as an Aboriginal. Uh, cause most of it takes place in the bush and they don't have stairs in the bush. Um, there's definitely some stuff around like their homes and stuff, but I feel like it's still, it's that like, this is a hot area. You're probably not going to build, levels if you can just build wider right um and the good times are killing me there might be some stairs but i don't remember any a lot of them are like they are already in the place mm-hmm. and you kind of just get some text that will be like oh we're at this bar mm-hmm. or something so i don't really remember any stairs um so effort for both um next on the spreadsheet we've got uh immortality i didn't know <laughs> I didn't know if M wanted to talk about it. I just knew that Nia was curious about it. <laughs> okay, yeah. I can. I, yeah, I can talk about this. I think it's pretty neat. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I. I think I've seen enough to say that I think it's like interesting if you're interested in the premise at all. So, are you satisfied? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so, Immortality is a new game from Half Mermaid Productions, which is Sam Barlow's company. He made her story, which was an FMV game that kind of blew up uh, some years back. Um, he's a very divisive figure, uh, because no one in video games has ever seen a movie before. So don't know how to process anything he does. They're not, they're not that deep. It's like a good time. Immortality is specifically about like, it's, it's like just a, a, a whole big array of clips, um, that are like, um, dailies 
and um, rehearsals and script reads and a couple like even like auditions and uh, promotional clips of three movies all starring this woman named Marissa Marcel. Um, the first movie is a movie from 1969 called Ambrosio, which is an Italian movie about a, a very famous like Spanish uh, priest who's like most pious man in the world. And uh, Marissa Marcel plays uh, a woman who's in love with him, who joins the convent as a man. Uh, like trying to be a monk, like pretending to be a monk to get close to him. And they get wrapped up in a passionate murder mystery that might involve the devil. Very cheesy. Um, very like of a, it's not like, it's not as good as like Ken Russell's The Devils, which is one of the best movies anyone could possibly watch. Um, but it's like not, not dissimilar of a type, like non-exploitation nonsense. Um, and then the the director of photography and her end up like kind of a couple and they go to new york and they make they decide they're going to write and shoot a movie together called minsky in 1970 and they get this like fake james dean guy from california and it's a it's a movie about um she's the muse of this like tortured artist guy who like picks up um why can't i think andy warhol's like strays and like helps like use them in his art or whatever um and she so she's his muse and was one of those or whatever and they do like a lot of like dangerous sexy stuff and Mm -hmm. um he ends up dying being murdered during like an autoerotic like asphyxiation thing maybe but also someone cut his dick off so clearly there's foul (laughs) play involved and this james dean guy plays the detective who's like the squarest motherfucker in the world who gets roped into this art scene and it's about him discovering these artists who are all like fornicating and doing drugs as he like falls for this woman who's probably a murderer uh, it's like what if cruising and eyes wide shut were the same movie it's fucking great uh i love minsky's <laughs> like my favorite thing in the world um uh, it's so stupid um then the next movie so so something happens on the set of that i don't know what yet i haven't finished the game something happens and one of the actors dies and the movie never comes out. It's like, lo- I guess it's lost. I'm not sure. I'm not quite clear on that. Does his um, dick get cut off? <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I wish I knew. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, I'll explain briefly. But anyway, the third the third movie is called Two of Everything, um, which is shot in 1999 and has like big like showgirls vibes. It's about a Britney Spears style um, performer um, yeah. who wants a break from her life and finds a body double. Um, like just a woman who's like living her life. She's like, you know, working girl or whatever. And she's like, I want to swap places with you. Like broad comedy uh, stuff. I'll be poor. You be rich for a little while. That happens. Um, and they do that. And they, it's like a bunch of jokes. And halfway in, um, like a, a Kennedy-esque guy and his evil wife do an indecent proposal where he like pays her $10 million to fuck her. But he <laughs> got the wrong woman. And it turns into this fucking weird murder mystery. It's like pure cheese erotic thriller but the first half of the movie is a broad comedy about like changing places ludicrous it seems like a terrible film but in a way that's like arresting and funny to me um and um the 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 game itself is like a bunch of clips and you you watch the clips and you can scrub forward and back and you can click you can like pause them it's almost like a like a like one of those like old real machines where you can like scrub faster slower and rewind or whatever um and you can pause it and then click on items in the film and it will take you to another piece of film in the collection that has 
that object like in like a meta tag sense. So if you see like a, 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 a like candle, you click on that and it'll send you to another random clip that has a candle in it. Um, this and, he is... goes, and that helps unlock clips because you start with like one clip and you just bounce around till you see everything in whatever order you end up exploring it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually credits roll. And there's like a there's like a weird oh, kind of a ghost story in there somewhere, because um, the thing about Marissa Marcella, she's the she's the girl who's like both roles and two of everything. But she looks the exact same as she did in the 60s and 70s. And no one like but something's wrong. with Like she keeps getting nosebleeds on set. Like there's clearly something weird about her in that. Um, I'm not sure why yet. So trying to figure that out. <laughs> Um, I never played her story because like the premise of like going through an old computer console didn't sound interesting, but like the mechanics as you're describing it kind of reminds me of Tacoma in a way that's like, ah, oh, maybe I will check this out. It's like, it's like what if Tacoma was watching three really cheesy, like not good, but like delightful to sit and like chill out with movies, but like only the special feature reels of each. Like you don't get to see the whole movie. You just get to see like little clips and all the deleted scenes and some, uh, you know, um, rehearsal stuff. And this sounds way it, more up my alley. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's really fun. Um, I'm having a really good time with it. Uh, people are like, let's like the greatest game ever. And oh, Sam Barlow is a hack back and forth because no one's sat and watched like a bunch of bad movies on arrow. Like each one of these movies is like immediately of a genre where I already like most of the things in that genre, but have a good time watching them. They're not exceptional. They're not like greatly acted. I think they're charming in the way that they try to emulate, especially the seven, like Minsky, the seventies film has like great, like bad yellow subtitles and everyone's costumes are ridiculous. And, um, (laughs) it just is really fun to me. Um, I just can't bother taking it too seriously, but I do think it's a good time, especially if you like that kind of like, you know, genre. If any of those genres of movies speak to you, I think that that part of immortality would be great fun. Yeah. Hmm. I think the like, cause I played her story. Um, mm. and her story for the record is just what if, uh, what if, um, sisters was really sedate film and I fucking love sisters. This is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's a real stupid time too. Uh, <laughs> Sisters is so good. Man, so the, we got to do Sisters one of these yeah, days. We, we talk about it so much. We do. Um, so the thing with like her story was literally, and I like have just moved out of making games since then. Mm-hmm. But at the time that it came out, I was like in the process of like, I didn't done shooting, but like working on a game idea that was going to be based on some of the stuff like that I've done as an archivist, where it is like, you basically are just accessing a giant database of here's a bunch of archival footage and people have done like a shoddy job writing out, like, here's what happens in these. So sometimes there'll be specific time codes of things happen. Other times there'll just be like text, uh, vaguely describing the video. Um, and you're basically just trying to search through it as like an archivist who's coming in later and figuring it out. Um, Mm. and my, the, which it's, uh, there's a lot of similarity here. And then with like her story, Mm -hmm. but Mm. part of mine was going to be like, around the difficulty in ascertaining the truth of anything that's like documentary of like actually piecing together like truth out of documentary things. Mm -hmm. Um, and also trying to like actually understand the truth of a person because a lot of it would focus around like a specific person who recurs throughout the, the uh, Mm -hmm. material, but would also kind of emerge as like, there's multiple characters because it's all documentary stuff. Um, And her story just, like, has a mystery to be solved in a way that, like, 
Yes. With slightly deflating to me as someone like working on it, like actively engaged in the ideas of like, what does it mean to like look through an archive and to like try to ascertain things in the archive? This is like inherently a thing where like pieces of things that resemble truth can be found, but also there's like no objective, like this is the actual reality of what happened um, that you can ever fully arrive at with like anything documentary. And this is just like, no, it's just a murder mystery and you're a cop like looking through it, trying to figure it out. And you're, the cops you're famously just had not the worst a cop. Truck. You were well, not a cop in. But you're going uh, through a police. You're going through like police officers. Oh yeah, you're the you're like a child or something. But it is like a, a police record. Yes, you are going through, through a police archive. Yes. yes, yes. And I think that framing still ju- does gear it towards a detective approach rather than yeah. like yeah, yeah something that I wanted more from out of it. I mean, also um, none of, neither of these games is like interested in the nebulous truth of document. It's just not, yes. it's not yeah. interested in that part of film, but I am interested more in, uh, immortality hearing about it because the framing is more around like arrow films, basically yeah. rather than like looking through, uh, basically just police interrogations, uh, documented in the worst fucking possible way that you could archive this. Yes. Uh, I don't know why you would clip it out to every individual response and not even the question that people asked. It makes yes. no sense. Uh, um, having it just be like, here's a bunch of random footage of people fucking shot that you have to look through uh, mm. for movies that never got released just feels like a, a an inherently more fun way. Because also there's just going to be different sets and stuff. Uh-huh. There's going to be different actors. It's not... Yes. Yeah. Um, my my thing with uh specifically with immortality is it reminds me of um me and my roommate destiny like to watch bad movies together um and oftentimes it's just like we're watching some i'm watching some terrible genre lynn lesbian vampire movie and destiny loves that shit and i i tolerate it i have a de- i enjoy myself but it's not like my genre or whatever yeah and we just sit there watching a movie like that and like i'm googling i'm like looking at the wikipedia like what happened to this actress she's oh she died horribly like three years after this movie was shot and this guy ended up making like 17 movies even though he can't fucking act and they were one of them was really famous blah 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 and like immortality feels like it's built for people who watch movies that way and i just feel very at home just enjoying (laughs) watching the history play out as i sit on the couch and click clips yeah it feels like it is in the same part of my brain that's like i just found some random skinamax movie and like a weird archive i'm just gonna watch this because i have a Mm -hmm. weird affection for it yeah i i just remembered that like M, you recommended me Night Film for very similar reasons, and Night Film is yes. fucking good. <laughs> so Night maybe... Film's better than uh, Immortality. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not oh. expecting, uh, you know, I'm not expecting the same level of quality from a video game that I expect from a novel. <laughs> sorry, <Yeah>. not sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's, that's wise, I think. Yeah. Uh, have there been any stares in Immortality so far? You know what? I don't think so. I would believe it. Like people, there's one scene where some people run down a stair, but I would not describe it as noteworthy. So I'd I'd probably give it an F. (laughs) Stairs, stairs do exist in the world of immortality, but they don't matter. Yeah. Um, all right. My second to last double feature is two Hamlet movies. Um, so when we were going to watch the Almereda Hamlet, I, I had it downloaded, ready to go, and it was just sitting on my computer, and I was going to delete it, and I was like, I should watch it first. 
So I watched uh, Michael Almereda Hamlet. It was fun. I mean, it's it's not like the greatest adaptation of Hamlet, but it is kind of interesting how it's trying to like it. It is keeping the script pretty much. I mean, there's a lot of like changes in ordering and a lot of scenes get cut and things, but like people are saying iambic pentameter lines, mm-hmm. but often trying to deliver them without quite having quite as much of that like Shakespearean actor like yeah actually getting into the the I am like pattern. Uh they're trying to act it a little bit more like casual and some people like Bill Murray uh gets really far into just like casual um <laughs> in a way where like the the IMs have vanished. Uh and then other people like Kyle McLaughlin basically just trying to do his best Shakespearean actor. <laughs> I didn't know Kyle MacLachlan yes, was in that movie. Yes, it was a delight turning this on and being like, both Kyle MacLachlan and Bill Murray are in this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like, it. it is kind of, I think the, the part that I found the, the most interesting, like not having watched this since basically early 2000s, um, is... Hamlet has this stuff around, like, there's a play within the play. It is talking mm. about plays at, at points. And so, of course, they, like, shift that onto the camera and the lens and things like that. Um, and they, they like, emphasize that, I feel like, even more. Like, it becomes even more a thing about, like, making movies and interpreting and things. Which makes sense for, like, the project that this is. Um but because you get a bunch of shots with um, Hamlet is going around with that camera that they shot some of the scenes in um, the vampire movie that we saw. Oh, yeah. Nadja. Nadja. Yeah. But here he's like specifically shooting stuff with it. And then you're seeing the footage where it's like more uh, you're expecting to see this like low quality footage. Whereas in Nadja it just kind of came up whenever you're getting vampire vision in a way that was deeply confusing to us when we were watching it in the the um drive-in um <laughs> but yeah and then i i gave it an a for stairs there there are a lot of good stairs but i feel like they could utilize them a little better there's a really incredible like concrete staircase that goes down to like you know those just like those massive uh little it's just like water in a corporate area like you're like at a corporate building and there's kind of a little courtyard and they just well, like have a koi like, pond yeah they have like a koi pond Okay. That's where that's where Ophelia drowns herself. Okay. In uh Almereda's Hamlet. And there's this like leading down to it, there's this like massive concrete uh staircase that you kind of see in some of the shots where she's like sitting at the pool and mm-hmm. you know, when she dies and things. But they should have had her go down it. Nobody yeah. goes down it. That what the sucks. That's okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but then, so I watched it and I got excited about the Hamlet like month project that we had come up with. So now I'm just watching all the Hamlet movies myself because I'm excited about it now. Mm. Um, in a way that like between when we came up with the idea and then got there, we kind of lost the enthusiasm. It's back for me. Um, <laughs> and so I watched the uh, 1964 Soviet Hamlet film. Uh, which I guess would technically be Gamlet, because that's like how Hamlet is in Russian. Um, this is by uh, Grigory uh, Kozintsev. Um, 
and it was fucking incredible. I think it's my favorite like film adaptation of Hamlet I've seen. Um, one, so they like basically built a massive castle for this, and uh, very smartly, they do not show you the entire castle until the very like very near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get little clips, like little shots of it. You get various like sets of stairs around the castle and then like at different times including different times of night like there's some exterior ones that you see during the day and at night um and you never like get a full picture of like where everything is in the castle but you start piecing together like oh i guess this room is like here as it goes on um which just like also becomes uh, interesting, but he, he understands, and this makes sense because he started as a, um, like play director, um, Kuzin said, uh, he understands that if you just have a staircase in this like set, you can then have like an extended shot, like extended takes where people are talking to each other. And then people will like move up the stairs at moments where it might like start conveying something to have an actor above another actor and uh-huh. things like that. And a way where it was just fucking ass, just great fucking <laughs> stairs. Um, even without like getting the whole like kind of sing song equality of the iambic pentameter. Cause it's translated into Russian. Um, you still just get like so some of the acting is still just so over the top in the way that you want. Um, and then at other times just like really well done. Um, the music is wonderful. Um, and yeah, just some of the shots are incredible. There's, uh, when he does one of the, the monologues, uh, the like to be or not to be monologue, he's just standing like with rocks behind him at the, like, shore of the ocean and the ocean waves are just crashing against the rocks and it's just like this is what the fucking cinema is (laughs) um when he goes to meet the ghost it's like outside you know like the ghost of his dead father uh he's just in like full armor like battle armor with like the most intense billowing cape um and it's just like moody night shots and the horses are just going fucking nuts because there's a ghost. It's so like it goes so hard in a way that like depictions of the ghost do not always go this hard. Uh, and there's the brief moment where you get a little bit of a reveal of his face and it's so good. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, highly recommended to anyone who wants to see a Hamill adaptation. This is on, I think, Rare Film M. Okay. Or, otherwise, I may have found a found it on like one of the torrent sites, but yeah, I think it's on rare film. Um, it was fucking good. Anyway, you have a, one more thing you want. To I have about. a thing. I won't go long cause we're almost at an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to briefly proselytize for a uh, cross game, a manga I read on my vacation. Uh, it's fucking incredible. It is a baseball uh, romance manga about, like, two teens uh, who are really bad at talking about their feelings. Uh, it is on the shorter side. It's um, seven double-sized volumes, so 14 volumes, I think. Um, no, eight. I think it comes out to slightly more. I looked up the, like, original. Yeah, it's, like, 17 Takabon, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it. Anyway... Uh, yeah, it's just fucking good. I read all of it in, like, two days. Um, I want to go on a whole spiel, but I might just peer pressure you into, like, doing it on Divey or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, have it all. Yeah. I'm gonna read through it. 
So once it, whenever you read it, we could just talk about it. We could do we a manga cafe. cafe. There yeah. we go. Okay. So It'll yeah, I won't proselytize here then. Yeah. Anymore, anymore than it's one of the best manga I've read all year. And I read all of Berserk this year. So yeah. Yeah. It does seem like extremely your like, my shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's romance my shit. and baseball. Also S for stairs. Triple yeah. S, quadruple S, quintuple S, the most S's I can give for the stairs. There are so many stairs in Cross Game. They fucking rock. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll manga cafe about that at some point. So okay. you do your last two. Yeah, so my last two, I um, actually watched these like fairly early in all this, but I wanted to save it for the end because it feels the most getting us into Dead or Alive. Um which is, I watched two films by Kurosawa Kiyoshi, uh, both from 1998. These were both V-Cinema films. Uh, I think he made both of them within the span of, like, three weeks or something. Huh. Um, the second one, Eyes of the Spider, he wrote. Uh, the first one was written by the guy who wrote the original Ring mm. movie. Um, And then he directed both of them. Uh, they both have, like the initial starting premise of um so uh Aikawa Show, who also is one of the people and plays multi, you know, different characters in Dead or Alive and Dead or Alive Two. Okay. Uh he's the one with like blonde hair in Dead or Alive Two. Okay. Um in both of these movies he plays um uh I'm trying to remember it's like Nishiki or something. Mm-hmm. I oh Nijima I think. It's been a while since I watched this. Both of them, he has the same name, but they're, like, different characters. Mm-hmm. And both of them are basically trying to get revenge for, like, a dead daughter. Um, The first one, Serpent's Path, is basically all about the process of, like, getting the revenge. Where it starts with, um, it has another focus on, like, a another character who's working with him. Um, and is the person whose daughter died. And you learn out, learn uh, more about why Aikawa shows um, also cares about this girl being dead, but basically he's helping this guy whose uh, daughter was horrifically murdered by Yakuza, kidnap the Yakuza who they believe did it, slowly torture him in this like weird soundproofed warehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, As you do. Yeah. And so you get uh, in ways that make sense for this was written by the ring guy, uh, just like extended sequences of torturing this man. Um, but not in like extreme body horror way, but just in stuff of like, oh, we're not going to give you food for a long time until you're really hungry. And also like, we don't give you a bathroom. So you're just having to like, you're like chained to this wall and you're just like going to the bathroom on the floor. And then finally we're going to bring the tray with the food and then dump it into your shit. And then you just like have to eat it. Like it's that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, cinema. Yeah. Um, and as it goes on, you find out that, um, I'm just going to say Aikawa show. Uh-huh. You find out that, uh, he is a math professor. Um, and so he's just like this random math professor who like fully knows all this stuff about how to help this guy get revenge. Uh, also the, the person that they've kidnapped keeps saying that he didn't do it. Um, and so they end up getting more information where they think maybe it was a different guy. So they bring that guy. They try to get them to, like, turn against each other to find out who really did it. It ends up ballooning into, like, basically they're taking on the entire Yakuza family. 
um, because it becomes less and less clear who did it. And then there's like a twist at the end that I'm not going to reveal in case people want to watch this because it, it is, uh, um, despite what I'm saying, it's not like super hard to watch if you're at all familiar with V Cinema stuff. Mm-hmm. There's stuff in Dead or Alive, the first one that like I think is more just immediately <sighs> hard to see. But, um, but yeah, so, um, I thought it was interesting. It it's, was kind of interesting to watch a movie about revenge that is, like, less about, oh, you create, like, this cycle of revenge where people are going to want revenge on you. And it's more just, like, like, when when do you, what have you killed enough that you feel like you've, like, finally achieved it? Mm. When do you, like, actually finally get that, like, feeling of success in your revenge? Um, how many people do you have to kill to, like, reach that point? Um but it, it was it was a little less like interesting to me in terms of like exploring the themes that it was bringing up compared to eyes of the spider where this one um i don't even know what his job is at the beginning but it literally starts this like basically the same way where he's kidnapped the person who killed his daughter um is trying to torture him but then the guy dies on like the second day just from like not drinking water and eating or something um, and so he's already gotten revenge within like the first 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, and then the rest of the movie just becomes about how absolutely empty his life feels that like, he thought that he was going to be able to get revenge on this guy and then like feel some sort of like closure with the death of his daughter, but his daughter's still just dead. He just goes home to his wife. Who's just like trying to get over it in her own ways and seems to honestly be succeeding more. Uh, but at times there's like a brief ghost story moment, but I think is more just getting at like, she is also sometimes still being haunted by these like moments of grief about the death of their daughter. Um, and so he will sometimes just come home and she's just like freaking out. And other times she's fine. Um, and the, the one part at the, when I first watched it, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit more focused on, like, just him having to deal with it and go back to his normal life. And so I was slightly disappointed when he then did become a Yakuza. He, like, joined a Yakuza family. Um, but it, with time, I, I ended up enjoying, like, thinking about it more. I kind of enjoyed that it was still exploring these things. I think it was in this, like, project trying to do something similar to serpent's path like i think it was also close in terms of he realized in that that he could kill because he got revenge and so now he becomes like a fairly successful hitman Mm. um for the yakuza but it's also just like it's full yakuza movie in that it's just like work fucking sucks and it's empty and you're just like doing the job of killing people and you feel empty about it Mm -hmm. um and it's just kind of delightful in in the way that uh that are alive two birds kind of is where some of the yakuza are just like weird characters Mm-hmm. Um, where this man just like has a rock collection that he keeps showing and he like they go on fishing a fishing trip and stuff um, so yeah I ended up enjoying it a fair amount um, I would say if people are going to only watch one of them probably Eyes of the Spider is the better one um, but yeah both of them were felt like slightly more interesting uh looks at like let's do a story about revenge than the kind of most common narrative you get which is this like 
oh, you killed someone, but now you've just like that person's going to want, or, you know, that person's family is going to want revenge or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is just a thing that uh, like the Icelandic sagas did in the turn of like in like 1200, Mm -hmm. you know? In a way where, like, yeah, they did a whole one about how, and then that destroys the nation. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> they they developed a proto-concept of nation to then write a proto-novel about how revenge destroyed their proto-concept of nation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lady Snowblood's blood is cool, though. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, if people want some more V-Cinema, I'd recommend both of those. And uh, I think Serpent's Path is on Rare Film M, but I had to find Eyes of the Spider elsewhere. And some of that just could be that there's more preservation. The weird story with this is um, I thought that I had already seen Serpent's Path, and then I was looking through um, Letterboxd. I remember that I watched it in a class, and then I saw it was Eyes of the Spider, I was like, oh, that must have been it. And then I watched both of them, and I remembered Serpent's Path so much more than Eyes of the Spider, where I must have watched both. Huh. But. Weird. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it. We've we've got us to dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to do f- plot synopsis? I could I could take a swing at it. Yeah. Um. Sh- who directed the movie? When did it come out? Can you give me all that stuff first, real quick? Oh um, my god, who directed Dead or Alive? I know who directed <laughs> it. Neither I just Takashi. wanted someone to tee me up. <laughs> Dead Dur- or Alive is a film directed by Takashi Miike, screenplay of Aichiro Ryu. It came out in Japan November 27th, 1999. Dead or Alive is a movie where... It's been okay. It's been like three weeks since I've yes, seen it, no, me too. and me also too. nothing happens. <laughs> There's a okay. Could you give me the actress names? It's uh, Aikawa Show, and who's the other one? Um, the one with the pompadour. Oh, why am I? Why am um, I? My brain is just because uh, I'm just gonna call them by their actors' names. Um, I mean, probably. yeah, that's. You've pulled up the video uh, game. Riki Takeuchi. Yeah. Takeuchi Riki, I guess, for you. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to do it this way. You have once again pulled God up the video it. game. <laughs> you have gone to two different wiki pages for the video game. Oh, we game. want to talk about Zack's Island. We can talk about Zack's Island. Fuck. I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, so The film Dead or Alive based on the video game, actually a pretty good movie. If you ever just want a really dumb time. I've heard that. Worse. Yeah. Um. So... Aikawa is a cop who is trying to crack down on the Yakuza in the area. Um, Takeuchi is a sort of non-affiliated killer type guy who's just trying to fuck up the Yakuza's day for... I'm sure he had reasons. I don't remember the reasons. I don't think they mattered. Um, Money, I think. I think he wanted money. (laughs) Yeah, and also this like very vague... um... Because, like, him and his, like, friends are all uh, immigrants to Japan. Yes. I believe from China. From China. Um, I don't know if there's, like, any any that aren't. Um, but, and so there's some of this, like, oh, like, basically trying to, like, come up through 
this and yeah. then that being at odds with his brother who's like trying to like who cares do about the normal that? yeah <laughs> um dead or alive one has a great deal of plot um it is very hard to follow but the the gist is that like the the war between various yakuza groups and the this group of like chinese immigrants is escalating um the police are putting more and more pressure on the yakuza partially fueled by Aikawa has this plan to put a bunch of pressure on the Yakuza to blackmail them into paying for his daughter's surgery because she has anime disease. Yeah. Um, and things keep escalating and escalating and escalating until everybody dies at a big shootout at a bar. Uh, In ex- one of the funniest scenes, and I think the first time most people watch it, don't realize that I I think it is just genuinely supposed to be funny. The wife and daughter get the keys to his car, to yes. Aikawa's car, go into well, it and it explodes. Yeah, so I started I started I laughed so hard I, I was wheezing. I I, <laughs> I was coughing. So there's I was like I was like this movie's kind of fucking boring. Yes, and then that happened. <laughs> it's pretty fucking boring. There's a big shootout and you're like, okay, now we're gonna wind down a little bit, um, and then yeah. They the the yakuza or not the yakuza the um, uh, Takeuchi's character is gonna get revenge on Aikawa by car bombing him, but instead car bombs his like wife and child who just recovered from her surgery, I believe. Yeah. Um, or is about to go get her surgery. Doesn't matter. They blow up. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so then he decides he's gonna get like super turbo revenge. Um. Oh my god, this is the this, longest yeah. Wikipedia synopsis for a movie that where nothing happens. <laughs> anyway, he's gonna go get his revenge, so he, like, pulls up on dude, uh, like, runs at him with a car, the car blows up, he, like, pulls a rocket launcher out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> the, mo- the movie just fully abandoning whatever Yakuza shit had been happening, he pulls out a rocket launcher... The other guy does a spirit bomb on him and the world blows up. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> this movie mostly sucks, but then it ends in the best way. <laughs> yeah. So there's an infamous uh, interview with Mike from around the time this movie came out where he says that he thinks that the, the final scene is really important to understanding the entire movie. So make sure to watch I through agree. all the way to I the agree. end. And yeah, I fully agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, like... I, I have a greater read on what's happening in this movie that then goes along with that are alive two birds, but so I don't know if we want to just talk about this movie first or if we want to get into both. Let's combine them. I think yeah. uh, combining them will yeah. help both. Yeah, yes. I think so too. So, yeah. Dead or Alive Two Birds released in two thousand. Uh, same same actors, uh, but now they're playing totally different characters. It's a new, you know, yeah. in the last movie the world ended because of the spirit bomb. Yeah. Uh, also, this one's written by uh, Masa Nakamura, different writer. So okay. Yeah. Um, um, I will. I will say, uh, Takeuchi's character here is still kind of close. Yeah. Because I feel like he has a little bit more of a type, whereas like I- Aikawa does more actors. Yes. Like more roles throughout movies, where where I think he can like get the his, his character is so different. Um. Yes. So while the first movie has a ton of plot and nothing matters. This movie um, has a very thin plot where, like, kind of the form of the movie is taking center stage, and so 
the gist is that these two guys, um, okay, we're introduced to Aikawa, and he's gonna go do an assassination on some Yakuza, yeah, uh, to get a bunch of money. And as he's like lining up his sniper shot to stealthily kill this one guy, Takeuchi just like is in the middle of this crowd of Yakuza, pulls out a like one gun and just ices all of them. Um, yeah, and. You know, Aikawa starts asking around town about, like, who was that guy? And realizes, oh, shit, it's this guy I knew when I was a kid. And it makes him nostalgic. uh, And also, he's, like, kind of on... Oh, yeah, he's on the run because he took credit for the killing and took the money. And then uh, the Yakuza found out it wasn't him. And so they're trying to hunt him down. So he's like, I'm going to go back home uh, to the, like like, little island where I grew up. Yeah. And the other guy is running from the Yakuza 2 because he killed he a killed bunch a of bunch Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'll run back to my home. And they bump into each other, and they basically just, like, relive, like, days gone by. Yeah. Um, and it is the most, like, these two are going to end up somehow killing each other. It is, like, you literally, like, see shots that are supposed to make it look like they're going to end the movie killing each other. It is the most obvious end for what this movie is. Um, and, and I won't get, I had a thought that's not plot. So I will continue onward. Basically, um, they, uh, have a bunch of fun in their hometown. They set up yeah, a just play. extreme guys being dudes. Yeah. They're like, they meet up with another guy and they're just like playing baseball in the rain and shit like that. Talking um, about penises a lot. Talking about dicks a lot. Um, <laughs> They set up a little play for all the children in town. We can get into that when it's appropriate. <laughs> anyway, um, they head back to like the mainland. They head back to Tokyo, and um, the Yakuza catch up with them. And it's a huge bloody gunfight. Everybody dies. the The two guys are dying in each other's arms, basically, and then decide, no, we can't die here. We have to die at home. And so they like, you know, pick themselves up, just like pouring buckets of blood everywhere they go they like ride the ferry back home and they eat the ramen noodles or the udon noodles they're yeah. very nostalgic for and like uh basically the moment they get off this like boat they like go to the place that was most nostalgic of all yeah Aikawa, and drop dead immediately how <laughs> dies on the boat after they have the udon and then takeuchi carries him the rest to the like top of the mountain or whatever that's like yeah big, yeah and then they drop dead yeah uh, this movie is so much better than the first movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, really, really enjoyed Dead or Alive Two Birds. I would agree with you, begrudgingly, that maybe you should watch the first movie before the second movie, even though they're not related in any way. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the second movie is made stronger by getting through the first movie kind of sucking. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to stand here and say I like the first movie more and I think it's a not it's not better it's not better so you I was I was halfway into Dead or Alive and I was like Neve knows I don't like crime movies I don't know why I was asked onto this <laughs> no feature so this is the thing it's like part of me wanting you on this is I really really love Dead or Alive 2 Birds I really love the ending of Dead or Alive and it makes me love the first Dead or Alive a lot mm-hmm. I knew that um, er, I knew that Autumn would really like birds. Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. knew you, M, 
would really like the first movie because of the ending. And so I just wanted, like, my two friends who I knew would like the different movies, but for the same reason that I like both of them on one podcast. So, so... Um, the first movie opens with a montage of like indulgent Mike mm. bullshit yes. of just like vice and, and violence and sexy stuff and gross stuff all is jammed together. Just Mike stuff. There's one um, scene that's very important at the beginning as well that is important to me, like both because I like the shot, but also I think it is like conveying at the very beginning that all of this is going to be like kind of a jokey artifice, which is that you have the two characters are going to be rivals throughout the entire movie. Just standing next, like, with each other, like, crouch down, like, doing the Yakuza crouch thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just on a pier, just hanging out, and then they just go, one, two, one, two, three, four, and then the, the whole montage starts. Right. It's sick. It's yeah. so sick. And just, um, like, and having we... them be there and just hanging out is just, like, at the very beginning, introducing you to, like, this whole thing is just kind of going to be, like... A farce. Yeah. To me, at so, least. So, yeah, the rest of the movie is, like, really typical of this type i'm not gonna say it's bad it's just very typical Mm. it's very like stayed the cops and the the gangsters and everyone's got a angle and there's a tragedy in everyone's personal life like the the yakuza guy has a brother who like is horrified that his brother's like a horrible yakuza guy now and he's like we didn't you know you're putting me through school and i understand you feel you need to do this but i didn't want you to do it this way this is not how we live our lives and uh the cops got anime disease child stuff like that um it's fine Mm-hmm. Um, and then it all expl- literally explodes into farce at the end. And yeah. that's great. I love yeah. that. Mike understands that he's making a movie that's very typical. And the, the, the length it goes before it reveals its punchlines, I think really helps yeah. in the middle. There's a part where a lady dies in a pool full of shit and you're like, I don't really need to be watching this. This is gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Takashi Miike, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, yeah. Dinner Life, Dinner Life Two Birds is like a better movie in that the characters have motivations that are more interesting immediately. They hang out together and mostly do a bunch of stuff. Um, they manage somehow to make like a Scorsese movie out of a Yakuza film because it's mostly about both of them having intense Catholic guilt that they funnel into like <laughs> doing crime for children in Africa. It's fucking wild. The politics in this movie are out of control. I um, straight up forgot that they're yeah. doing it for the kids in Africa. Yeah, you missed the part where when they go back and they're killing people, it's all based around this this like plan of we get this much money from killing an asshole and then we can buy this many vaccines in Africa. Yes. I 100% um, forgot this because it doesn't matter, but also it really matters. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because the story is about these two characters that you invested more in like a more traditional way, because they're more interesting and they have this childhood connection and they, they hang out and they talk and like, there's stuff to hold on to. I feel like it's just as much of a farce, but like, buried under the part where you attach to it the way people normally attach to movies and it's easy to forget that what they're doing is they're they're like two harvey keitel hitmen from a scorsese movie interacting with like a a, a very traditional like small japanese village doesn't know what to do with these movie characters Uh who are just cartoons um (laughs) and that friction i think is like really fascinating but i don't think it gels in anything particularly i think the ending of this one is like genuinely kind of bad um because it's up against Dead or Alive, which has just one of the most gleeful endings possible. <laughs> um, I wish it, I wish it was more about the weird friction of like 
that thing where they go to a Catholic orphanage and like the big play they're doing is like a nativity play with a bunch of like roaming Japanese theater troupe actors where like they get in a car wreck. So they have to fill in for two of them. We don't really see much of that stuff. Um, Oh, that play isn't, but the one, no, no, the one, the one when they were kids was the nativity one. That's what they were. Yeah. They were talking yeah. about, uh, he like did a, like a fake penis gag as one of the like shepherds or something ridiculous. I don't remember what the story was. Something lewd when they were kids. And so when the guy remembers, he's like, oh, right. Damn. Um, but, and then they turn that into this guilt of like, we're going to do good for the, the other kids, the world. And where, where are the orphan kids around Africa? Um, <laughs> And then it just has like a the, the the typical we died each other's arms as brothers kind of yakuza plot that would be more appropriate for the first half of Dead or Alive One, um, and it just feels weird. And I'm I'm like I was I'm like what is if if we if it's really important to watch the ending of Dead or Alive to understand what he was saying, and I agree. I don't think that's true of birds. I actually think the ending like hurts the movie, and I was like genuinely kind of disappointed by it because I'm like there's a lot of interesting stuff here, and then I just don't like there's like a tag at the end where um, the other guy they meet and his wife come home and they have a new child and it's like, you know, the cycle continues and there's a family. This is a family that's different than what they had, but they had was not family and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And there's like a tag. It's like, where are you going? Um, And I'm like, that's, that's nice artifice, but I just don't, I just don't have any attachment to it. I don't think it's doing anything clever with that. Maybe I'm right. Maybe, maybe I need you have something. I don't, Um, but I just was left like kind of cold by it. And whereas I think dead or alive is uh, brilliant. And should be seen. <laughs> I think both these are good. I'm like really excited to watch the third one. See what the fuck that is. Um, yeah. I'm like up and down on Mike, but I did. I did. I'm glad I watched both these movies. because I never would have otherwise. Um, should, should I do my little? I, I have a guess as to what your theory is or your, your not theory. Yeah. You're do you like, want, do you want to do then? I have like, cause I think I have, a, I landed at a similar place, which is that like the first movie I think is like, very deliberately a riff on like the battles without movies. Well, like it, mm. it's even less to me that and more after the battles without movies, mm-hmm. you get in Jutsuruku this blueprint for like exploitative Yakuza movies that starts in like this studio system where they're churning them out. And then of course, once home video becomes a thing, it moves to V cinema and in the move to V cinema is allowed to become more exploitative uh-huh. where mm-hmm. this was already existing in the cinema anyway. But now the whole thing is you see a like VHS on the shelf, you get it. The very beginning is explosive Mm-hmm. And so you were watching, you're like pulled in. So you're like, so much shit is happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. It then just becomes the most boring rote Yakuza movie plots. That's always yes. the yes. same fucking beats. Yes. Of like, yes. of course the one Yakuza has the brother who's not a Yakuza and there's the friction there. And then that brother is in the final moment going to like be in the gunfight to save the brother. But now he dies and uh-huh. Oh no, this like becomes a thing for revenge. And the, the cop I is going to have, I do want to yeah. briefly, I do want to briefly interrupt to say that stuff. Like there's one shot where they, they grabbed the guy who took them. They all did a heist. One of the guy took the money and like spent it. Yeah. And they like drag yes. him out into the street and they're like, ask him about it. And they pull a gun and shoot him. And it's all like this really far away wide shot. And I genuinely think it's like the best shot in the movie. Oh, totally. One long take. It's really impressive. It's uh, really it's not good. like this stuff is bad. Yeah, no, but it, it is like, there are moments in this that are, are good. And I think he's very intentional about metering out things that would pull different people in where you get shots mm-hmm. like that, where you're like, Oh, this is like 
this is visually interesting to me. Uh-huh. Or if someone's specifically in it for just the sicko exploitation stuff, they're like, oh, here's the, you know, woman dying in a pool of shit. Yeah. Um, that stuff. It, but throughout the entire thing, it is like trying to maintain the normal plot and and pull you through in the way that you might get pulled through, especially if, and I think the target audience for this is people who would just watch these V Cinema Yakuza films. Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of just getting pulled through the whole thing where honestly you should you should view the woman dying in the pool of shit as just as dumb and ridiculous and like breaking any kind of like attachment that you have to this movie in the same way that the ending does. But that falls within the tropes of this. Yeah. So you don't. When everything is within the tropes of it, it doesn't matter how stupid and ridiculous it is. You Mm -hmm. still just kind of think, well, this is just what the movie is. And, oh, there's another shot that I enjoyed from my perspective or whatever. It's when you get to the end that it is just like, no, this entire thing has been a farce. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. and and in this way, it is the most like, I, I think there's a way to read this film as like deeply cynical about like, no, there's actually no art in any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I can so easily like manipulate things in the ways that will tug at different people. And some people will get bored, but like the key audience is probably going to watch this and not really bat that much of an eye. There's some stuff yeah. that I might think is a little extreme, but well, not really bat an eye because this is all in the vein. And it's just that I don't give you the correct ending. that is going to like make you turn on the film. Or say this film is really good because you were finding all that stuff boring. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But I think it is like deeply like cynical and critical about what this kind of like genre has become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I, that's why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think Dead or Alive Two Birds is going. We are going to start now at the point of you've seen the first film. You are aware that this is all a joke and artifice. We are going to have stuff throughout the entire thing where it's just like dumb and jokey. Mm -hmm. And how are you taking any of this seriously? Where there's just a weird magician and everything. Like, I'm just going to start from that point. Yeah. I love that magician so much. Yes. (laughs) Um, But then because like you are now approaching this from a different perspective, I can start building in other things that you're going to find interesting or become attached to. And I can actually start like, creating something else out of this material. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there is like this in- intentional, like, and this is not new to Yakuza stuff. I've talked about how like, um, you know, Tokyo Drifter is specifically taking like a very staid formula uh-huh. and then using it to create like, Oh, here's this like lavish, um, all these lavish shots and stuff. Yeah. I'm like interested in just purely the aesthetics. Um, but I think he's like doing, he's trying to do that for like the V cinema exploitation, like just trying to get someone to rent it based off of the cover and the first 10 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is then trying to figure out how do I like, how do I expand this out and play with some of the stuff that's happening in there, but to then like start creating new interesting things. Um, mm-hmm. and so why why I really like birds is that it's doing all of that. But I think also the, the like, the thing is that it is more complex than what the mm. first movie is doing. And so if you don't end up vibing with some certain, like it just has to stand or die as a film rather than as a statement on Yakuza film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a certain way that like, if the first movie is cynical about like 
movies that come in the wake of Battles Without. Um, I think Dead or Alive 2 uh, can some can in some ways be like cynical about like Kitano movies. There's like so much of like just the dudes hanging out that I was like, we just stumbled into a Kitano movie all of a sudden. Like yeah. all of a sudden we are watching Sonatine. I don't know when that happened. Um, <laughs> but it's like that stuff really works for me. And now as we're talking about it, I'm like, well, it, you know, Mike's a smart guy. He's like deliberately tugging on my heartstrings as person who likes Kitano movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, yeah. And this is also why, like, mostly just because they would make this episode like too hard to get people to watch and schedule and stuff. Um, but like it, to some degree, final, I think is a movie that is poking fun at me for thinking that birds is like a really fucking great movie. Like, I think it is trying to do a certain amount of like its own, uh, subverting or messing with some of the stuff, but mm-hmm. I'd like to watch final. Yeah. You know, um it it's good it's just i like these are the two big ones that i've wanted and then people can go watch final and have their own thoughts about what it's doing but yeah there's some really funny stuff in final um and it's also the most uh like japanese cyberpunk in the tetsuo sense of the movies okay that's that's fascinating yeah. Oh yeah, um, I read a little blurb about Final, and now I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I've yeah. not read a thing. So I think don't Final talk shows up yeah. in the like Arrow, uh, you know, Man Machine or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite scene in Birds, and I think it speaks to like what I would want out of this movie, but, like, just, to, not even like I, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I wish it was dumber, like Dead or Alive. It's fine to make a movie that is not that necessarily. Um, there's a bit where they go and meet the old orphanage. Uh, like headmaster who was sent in the, like there, there was a fire at the orphanage and he ran in to save one of the kids. Um, and they've had a lot of nebulous opinions about like it, the orphanage seemed like a place where it was like kind of rough and tumble, but they weren't like treated super poorly other than like the, you know, it was a hard time. There's a mm-hmm. lot of orphans, I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, he went in to get this kid. The kid wasn't actually in there and he got horribly burned. And he's basically just bedridden and like a burn victim and has been for decades. And they go and he's not communicative, but seemingly knows who they are, whatever. And they visit him um, and they, they reflect on their kids. And a lot of that is like circled around um, that guy's wife and other people in the village knowing who they are, but not really doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um. And this idea that these characters get to exist in the space where like they come here to hide and they're not actually like in dis- like everyone knows them and sees them for what they are more than they see themselves and don't do anything about it because like it doesn't matter to them necessarily. Um, and that gives them a redemptive space. But because they're still arrested children, all they can do is perceive things in like a childish way. We're like, we grew up in orphanages. We're going to help the orphans by sending care packages to Africa. The movie touches on that stuff without actually like turning it into theme in a way that I'm, I just find myself really frustrated by. <laughs> I'm like, you, all the pieces are there. You just never put it together into a thing I wanted. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think some of it is, I think this movie has a little bit of almost a, a um, like cynical subversion of like, you know, you and I 
autumn getting like some emotional stuff from the guys being dudes part uh-huh. where they are then going to do the oh what's the big tropey ending for movies that's like a buddy movie oh they die in each other's arms mm-hmm. we're gonna do the big draw out to like emphasize this and but also in a way like pull in the goofiness in a mm-hmm. like where i'm just like laughing throughout like I find yeah. it really, the, I find the ending hilarious. Yes, like um, I enjoy and I, and it. I think it is like, I think it is also in a way, in the in the same way that the first that are alive is like saying no, all of this is a farce. It's kind of doing it too, but in a way that's like less immediately just completely overturning or completely like messing with you. It's so over the top with like how pat it is. It's like deliberately being like we are tying up like every single little thread in this movie in a nice little bow uh and like sending you on your way, you know. Yeah. Um I I really enjoyed it, but like I totally like I hear everything Emma is saying and I'm like yeah, yeah I think but they're I, right. But I mean it's making a joke <laughs> of how like a Kitano movie would have them dying in the streets of Tokyo. And then you would just get a shot of like the flowers billowing in the place where they like yes. felt. But instead yes. they are comically themselves <laughs> as like bleeding, uh, dying out like half corpses uh-huh. lurching their way to the spot. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I think that's fair. Uh, I just don't find as much value in that as you do, which is fine. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, part of it is just, it is me enjoying a movie that's slightly taking the piss out of me for thinking that, like, Sonatine is is my favorite movie. But also, Sonatine is really good. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But it's also... I I agree with both those things, just, like, at 30% of your feelings about them. (laughs) (laughs) Sonatine being my favorite movie is part of why I really like this movie, because it's a movie that is giving me Sonatine feelings, but also kind of chiding me for all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And I just really appreciate I want something that's going to lightly rib me for yeah, that's fair. loving Yaksa movies this much. Which is really <laughs> what the Dead or Alive series is doing. It's just being like, really, this is your favorite genre? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But anyway. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any more there's like so many like little scenes I, I, I kind of want to like pull out, but I don't have anything to say about like that play they really they do is really silly. <laughs> yeah. Or um what's up with that one dude who's like playing Russian roulette and just kills himself for no reason in the first movie? Like there's so <laughs> much like what's up with those people who are making bestiality porn in the first movie? Yeah. There's so much like just stuff in these movies um that I don't know if there's like merits discussion, but I do really just like enjoy it as an like an aesthetic experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> of just like throwing ideas at the screen constantly. <laughs> um Yeah. Dead or the the stuff that gets thrown at the screen in Dead or Alive Two Birds, some of it is just truly like oh, I guess that's what this movie is now. It is really funny. Um So I I'm not going to say I hadn't seen any Nikkei films before these, but I I don't believe I had. Um, I I was very familiar with his reputation as like, oh, he's so like zany, over the top, super gory. Um, And it's funny that if you put these two movies together, I think people were actually just right about this in a way that like so many of the 
Um, so many of the directors that I knew by reputation from when I hung out on forums, I would like go watch their movies and people were wrong. And it's just like, no, I think people kind of just nailed what Mike is doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess you're right. When you look at this kind of my favorite, my two favorite Mike movies are like his comedies. Um, I really like visitor Q and I really like happens to kind of curries. Yeah. And those are both fucking diff. Those are as different from this shit as you can get and still be made by the same guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of curries is like, I would say closer to birds, but also. Yes. Yes. It does. Yeah. Kind of curries is a movie that is taking the piss out of, uh, cinema at large. I feel like in a lot of ways, but that's the one I would really like to see. I'd really like to see audition because that's like the big famous movie. And then I would really like to see that. One. I want to revisit. All- I haven't seen audition since, uh, like 2004 five or something and at the time i remember thinking it was boring so i didn't know you know as long as you're 20 and don't know what the fuck you're talking about you i mean you might be right who knows like, yeah i might be right but i don't trust myself i don't trust myself at all i feel like i'm gonna i'm gonna like look up where's where's the audition let me get the um so i feel like every time i Audition's look at it on arrow if yeah that's well no i'm You've looked so, up the concept of auditions. I know. <laughs> it came out in 1999. I don't know what you want to know about auditions. No, I want to look at the the 113 minutes. I just feel like every time I look up the length of audition, I'm like, that's longer than it needed to be. Uh-huh. Just like with what that movie is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like a, an idea in my head of what that movie is. And I, I'm remembering all the details and I'm like, you could do that in like 80 minutes. <laughs> my thing about audition is I heard I because of my trajectory of getting into movies like Mike was like one of the guys everyone was buzzing about when I got into film. Um, and audition was like, oh, this is the most fucked up movie ever made. You've never seen anything like it. And when I finally tracked down a copy, which was not this was pre torrent. So I had to find a place that had a DVD that I could rent because the DVD was out of print. I was just like this, this thing. Really? I've seen worse than this. Yeah. I feel like I always heard about Ichi the Killer as, oh, that's the most fucked up movie ever made. Yeah, I'd yeah. already seen Ichi, and I thought Ichi was, like, fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's no uh, it's no Suicide Circle. That's my opinion on Ichi the Killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess that's my opinion on Ichi the Killer, too. <laughs> it sucks how much we were going to get canceled for how we still like Sona, Sion Soto movies. <laughs> yeah. Look, it, he, look, there's a lot of movies that I like who the people who made them turned out to be true monsters. It, it's just part of being in film. It's like what it's like. It's part of being in film. And also, every time I read uh, the news about him, I'm like. Oh man, this is yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. This absolutely. is like beyond the pale, even for movies. I'm trying to see if I can find the. I don't even know if it has a Wikipedia page. Um, but there's a. I I was telling a story. The like main English translation I see is the bedroom, but there's also some like one about. Um, I don't know, there's a more literal translation of the Japanese, which is different. Uh, but it was this like Japanese pink film that I remembered seeing way back in the day. Uh, and I saw it was on rare film and I was going to like rewatch it. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I looked up, I was like, Oh, like here it says people in it. Let me just like, look at what else these people have been in. Uh, and one of the main characters in it is a man who was convicted, um, in France for killing and eating a woman. <laughs> yeah. God. And that happened 
before the movie was made. Because oh what happened God. is... Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah. I, rem- I know the story. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So what happened is in France, um, he was uh, deemed like not like mentally ill and not fit to stand trial or whatever. And that like the, the root of it was like mental illness. And so he was put in an asylum. Um, and then when he was uh, sent back to Japan, um, the like people in Japan at the like mental hospital did a thing and they're like, no, we don't think he's mentally ill. We think he just it's specifically, it's specifically um, the, uh, they sent him to Japan they found him sane there and went to try it, but all of his court documents yes. were sealed because he was considered, uh, you know, mentally unfit for trial in France. So they couldn't export the documents because they had nothing to try him on. Yeah. Okay. And so he just went free. And then he became like a weird uh, celebrity in Japan. Yeah. The same way that like Etoy is. <laughs> like he yeah. was just like a speaker and he would be on TV shows and shit. It's <laughs> fucking wild. Yeah. And then was in this like weird pink film. And so I ended up not rewatching it because I was just like, man, I might rewatch it at some point, but like not right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just need to be like more in a mental space to to decide to rewatch that film. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely the the wildest of the as you were talking earlier, M, the just randomly looking around on Wikipedia at people in this movie and then being like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, when I was watching, when I was watching the um, the uh, Judy Garland uh, Criterion set, every movie would just have another little blurb about what horrible thing the men in control of those films are doing to control her weight during that film that drug drove her to an early grave. It's like fuck, great, okay, yeah, sure. This is just what we're doing here. <laughs> um, that's just cinema. That's the fucking movies. Yeah. yeah. We have questions. Oh, should we rate the stairs for for the two dead oh, or alive yes. movies? Um. I, I don't remember a single stairwell. I'll be I just, I remember that there were stairs. I remember thinking, "Oh, I'm glad we got some stairs." I don't actually remember what they were, really. Do you, yeah. Nia? The main stairs that I remember in Birds, because it's the one that we watched more recently, was um, going up to the roof to do the first hit, where he's got the sniper rifle, and then Takeuchi. Oh right. Oh, and then... I feel like there were some others, but. Early in the first movie, there's a bit where Aikawa is talking to the police chief, and the police chief is, like, standing on the stairs, like, above him in a way that looks kind of cool, but, like, there's no thematic There's also, they go down the stairs to the big shootout. Yeah. Oh, and then you don't see it, but technically they go downstairs before the car blows up. I feel like... you don't see the stairs. I feel like we should just give these two movies, like, a C- and call it a day. Yeah. We'll we'll just give them a collective one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, we have questions. Um. Our first question is from uh Klaus. Uh, the Arrow Blu-ray del- uh release of the Dead or Alive trilogy has DOA one and two on one disc and final on a separate disc. Uh, Dead or Alive Final was mastered uh, digitally only in standard definition. Other baffling or funny choices you have seen on various releases of films. So I have a funny story to tell about this. Yeah, You owned a box set of all three. No, I just owned individual DVDs. Okay. I was like, oh, for a birthday present, I will get you all three on Blu-ray. And I went to Arrow and I bought all three. Just, I bought 
all three Dead or Alive movies and was just like, here, I've given you them on yeah. Blu-ray. Didn't really read the fine print. I just bought you three DVDs because yeah. these movies were all mastered in standard definition. There is no point in putting them on Blu-rays. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's weird about if you look into the Blu-ray stuff, it, yeah, like... You, if you watch this on Arrow, it's like it says it's HD, and you're like, "That's not HD." No, it is not. <laughs> not. Yeah, I was like, "Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> you ain't fooling me." Uh, I too can put a standard definition uh, still into Photoshop and then do enlarged. <laughs> um. Uh, any other like weird choices for releases of films? I can't think of so anything. So this one, this one isn't. It, it has a perfectly logical explanation. The explanation is just terrible. Um, I have the Godzilla box set from Criterion, mm-hmm. big fuck off box set. Um, the version of King Kong vs Godzilla that you want, which is the Japanese version, is not on the discs that are like the individual releases. It is buried in the special features, like disc thirteen of the box set, because part of licensing that movie from is that universal? I think off the top of my head. Yeah, is that they had to only advert like advertise on that disc the English version, which is like totally fine if you, you are interested in watching the dubs of these films. Most of them are well made for the era. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it's there. Uh. That's the one that they're advertising, and you have to know that the Japanese version is buried in disc thirteen or whatever. That's the <laughs> one that comes to mind. Weird. Uh, there is also the infamous. Because I watched it a lot of times, because it used to, is in many ways still one of my favorite movies. The DVD of Memento that required you to do a stupid multiple choice psychological test every time you wanted to boot the goddamn disc and watch a movie off of it. I rented Memento from Family Video uh, in like, oh god, 2011 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to watch a fucking movie. I was just yeah. like, I didn't really like Inception, but I hear this movie's better, and like better. was not prepared for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were not prepared to play uh, that one Silent Hill game. Is that Shattered Memories the one that has all the yes. cycle? Yeah, a Sam Barlow a game. Sam Barlow. Also, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I uh. <laughs> I have played very little Silent Hill. Uh, my roommate for like many years uh Mm -hmm. loved silent hill so i've seen every single silent hill game some multiple times including shattered memories i think that's Mm -hmm. his favorite um klaus also asks um also since dead or alive has a pretty good mood setting montage right at the beginning what are some other films that do the same uh train spotting is what came to my mind I'm not going to say that the, train spotting is good. Yeah. The weird, the, my answer, my gut answer, which is a ridiculous thing to come to mind, is the original 80s live action Ninja Turtles movie, which starts the big New York City. Oh, montage, right. I actually think it's yeah. pretty good. I watched that movie recently, like maybe a year and a half ago. I was like, yeah, this holds up. You know what? It's all right. Um, I'll have but to it does open that. with a big montage. <laughs> I, I I have a I have a weird affection for TMNT um, that is like not based on the '80s shit at all, really, except for those movies. Yeah, <laughs> I was um that that's like the first thing as a kid that like my parents and I kind of remember being like really fixated on was turtle stuff because mm. I you know I was born in '85, so right in the right era. yeah um yeah. um trying to think of like. It's not a montage. The mood setting sequence at the beginning of Happiness of the Katakuris is really good. With the, Fuck yes. the weird yes, like claymation angel thing. 
<laughs> it was great too because um, I was watching that movie uh, and uh, Emily was going to go to bed. Okay, I need to head out in a second. Okay. I'll be back. I'm doing a mark. Yeah, let's we just keep this in. Um, so 
Uh, Neve put Happy Scott Curry's music in last time. Talk about Happy Scott Curry. I want to emphasize to everyone listening, it's on Arrow. We're going to have a question about Arrow. Like, what would your particular set of Arrow films be? It's going to be on high on there. I'm going to make the pitch right now. Happy Scott Curry's is one of the most joyful film experiences a person can have at the cinema, um, <laughs> no matter where you're at. I saw that. I uh, So when I was in college, I was renting movies randomly from this uh, very indie uh, video store here's the story when mm. we each of the killers out of print it's like the hot movie that everyone ain't it cool news is talking about get a hold of each of the killer it's fucked up you'll it'll blow your mind sideways and i'm like oh i gotta see it and because it was out of print you had to put down a 50 dollar deposit being broke college students that was non-trivial oh uh to rent the film uh and then i rented it and i was like oh this is kind of mid but then i rented happens kind of curries and that movie is fantastic and i've loved it dearly ever since it's a remake <laughs> of a korean film called the quiet family which is also good but like much more sedate um Having Scott Curry's run, don't walk to go fucking watch it. It's so good. It's like a musical and it's like a heartwarming family film and it's like a sex farce and it's like a murder, dark comedy. It's anything you can want it to be. Um, I love it so much. <laughs> I will, as we've been talking, um, especially in the early segment, we were talking about like Nope and Us. I was like, oh, it's September. I'm going to try and like do, um, okay, I'm going to let this cat out. Um, I'll try to do like Nope or Us this week. Maybe I'll try to do Audition. Uh, I was like going through all like the horror movies I want to start watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will I will try to prioritize that. Um, yeah, over the next few days. Um, that is that is genuinely one of the most like my to my taste films that could possibly exist. It's like that. It's like Blues Brothers. It's like Barbarella. You got a movie that's like kind of not quite a music. I mean, Happy Scott Curry's is a musical. Blues Bros is a musical, but like Barbara is not a musical. It just has the vibes. It could be a musical. Um, just very of my taste movies. Um, <laughs> love them. Um, we could just we could just do that arrow question we got later. Um, right now, honestly, if we wanted to. Um, I'll I'll read yeah, that sure. and we uh I can yeah. have Nia do it when she's back. Um, so Nigel, AKA desiccated veins, um, asks, you know how Arrow streaming service has those film collections curated by famous or notable folks. If you all could have a collection on there made up of films, uh, from their current selection, what would you pick? Feel free to just pick five or do your whole list. Um, mm-hmm. they provide a list. I'm not going to read it all, but I will like post it in the discord because I do think it's cute. Um, Someone remind while we while early on while uh, Neva's was going over the infinite double features, I made this list. I went through the entire Arrow selection that I could pull up on the website. They're brow- they don't have a browse all. I really hate that these services do not have a browse all. I understand I that that's like hard. Me too. Um, Criterion has it, and Arrow has the same back end, so I don't know why Har- yeah. why Arrow yeah, yeah. doesn't. But um, I just went to I, did- I went to Letterboxd, and you can filter by service, and I just filtered by movies I have watched on Arrow. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, that the problem with that is that um, does it does it update on based on what they have available, or is it when you watched it? Uh, I believe it is based on what's available because they just sync it with just watch, and so it's just like, oh, if you're looking oh, for okay. something to watch tonight, you can just go filter by what's on Arrow. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I guess I'll go. I have eleven films. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's eleven. It, I, this looks like eleven to me. Um, so number one, I already talked about. Happens to the kind of Curry's incredible film. Gotta see it. Number two, te- these are not unordered for the record. Tetsuo the Iron Man, which has been talked about on this podcast multiple times. That's a fucking banger. One of the best movies ever made. Also, it's forty-five minutes long. 
Um, uh, Gamera 2 Attack of Legion, which is the second of the uh, the Heisei Gamera films. I've only seen um, the first one, but I was going to just say the Gamera trilogy. You should just watch those. Yeah, I should finish two those. is my favorite. I have podcasts of all three. Uh, you could check them out on my catch all anime. It's usually anime and manga podcast. Your uncle's beach house. You can go to normalmapping.com. Check that out. We covered two and three with uh, Mano- uh, Casey uh, Minofsky article on Twitter. Um, who has turned me on to so many good things in my life. Genuinely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the original ring. It ha- it's listed as Ringu, but I don't like that. Yeah. Ring. I call it Ringu sometimes to distinguish it from the remake, but yes. yeah. Ring. I do rocks. like, I, I do like the ring. I, I think I like the ring more than the Japanese ring. I'll be honest about it, but um, it's a good movie. Um, not here to talk shit about it. I'd um, like to check out Ring's the remake at some point. Yeah. Um, sequel, fuck off. Don't care. Um, go back to the Japanese stuff. It's good. Um, uh, Blood Feast, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's 60s horror schlock classic, which is a bad movie, um, but it's compelling in its badness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have a whole box of his and I've been very slowly working through it because I'm not always in the mood for his stuff. But when I am, it's like, man, there's something we just... Arrow is the best streaming service for if you want to watch a movie where like you kind of don't like the movie. It's like everything's like a two or three star for me. But there's always like one scene where you're like, I'm going to remember that the rest of my goddamn life. Yeah, Um, I have not watched a ton of stuff on Arrow because I get too in my head about like, oh, I want to watch the right thing tonight. And I watched Reanimator because I was just on Arrow. It was like the second thing I saw that had a good poster. I was like, oh, I'll put that Reanimator is just a classic. Everyone's like, you have some stone cold classics. But yeah, yeah. I feel that way about a lot of, uh, like, Blood Feast is one of those. It's about, like, a weird, I guess he's probably, like, he's he's like a Middle Eastern looking guy who's in this, like, very 60s, like, Stepford Wives area. And he's, like, finding young girls that he's like catering and he's like butchering them to like a God and like eating parts of them. And it's really gory and really stupid. Um, but it's all right. It's pretty good. Um, I really do like a gore movie. That's just my thing. Um, uh, Django classic Italian Western Django. I was, I was also going to mention this because like, so a lot of people watch, uh, the Sergio Leone movies and they're like, Oh, I like Westerns. And like, I feel like you got to watch Django to know if you actually like spaghetti westerns, because that movie is like not good in the way that Leone movies are. Django is a 92 minute movie that feels like it's four hours long. And I mean that derogatorily. Yes. But (laughs) when it hits, it fucking hits. Also, every every cool anime you've ever seen steals from Django up and down. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, And so like, uh, you got to watch Django so you can know do I want to watch seven more movies that are exactly like this and bad in the same ways and good in the same ways? <laughs> yeah. Do I want to see a man lug a coffin and then at the end of the movie, pull a bunch of guns out of the coffin? Yes. Turns out I do. I fucking love that shit. <laughs> um, this one's leaving arrow. It's in there like leaving soon section. I don't know how long it's going to be there. Um, but um, lady vengeance is on arrow. Uh I like a lot of movies. Lady Vengeance, easily a top 10 film for me. It has been ever since I've seen it. Just one of the best movies ever made. Just no equivocation. Um, I think it's like the one revenge movie that I think has more to say than most of them. Um, It's not like reinventing the wheel, but I just think what it's about is interesting. I think it's a beautiful film. I love it. I watched uh, that movie on your recommendation somewhat recently. And while I was watching it, I was like, yeah, that was all right. And then like literally every time I like think about it or see it, I'm like, Oh, that movie was fucking great. That movie was fucking good. 
that's a movie that I feel haunted by in like a really positive way. I just think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, um, is it on Shutter? There's a there was a big um, folk horror set that came out recently that um, was wrapped around a documentary. Um, let me find the name of the documentary. It is Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, which is like four hour enormous documentary about the history of folk horror films. It's really worth watching, huh. even if you know the box set. Um, but it had a bunch of movies on there. And then uh, as that came out, all the services got folk horror to put on. Um, and uh, I was watching some of them with Destiny. One of the movies that wasn't in the box set, but we saw a bunch and we're like, this looks really cool, is a movie called Psychomania, which is a British film about a bunch of like bikers, uh, ne'er-do-wells, who's the leader of their gang's mother is like a weird like pagan whatever satanist i don't know i don't remember the specifics don't matter it's all the same according to like folk horror and um he does a bunch of crime and like wrecks his bike and dies but because she's got a, a direct line to the devil he resurrects and then teaches the rest of his bikers to also become immortal and they're just like immortal shithead bikers riding around the english countryside causing trouble and it's fucking good it's a really good movie it has it has like they're not good stunts, but because the movie is like clearly the cheapest thing ever made, they are shockingly dangerous looking stunts that are like exhilarating in the way that only like sixties and seventies car stunts can be. Because like everyone here almost died. I just know it in my heart. All these people <laughs> almost died every single time. <laughs> um, then I have Henry Porter of a serial killer, which is just a classic um slasher movie uh that i watched a couple years ago is like a horror it was one of our horror things it's always it's on like every service all the time um and it always seemed kind of boring um uh, because i don't like serial killer movies that much mm-hmm. um in that um a serial killer is like a very mundane serial killers aren't interesting like i'm yeah. kind of a ghoul when it comes to like murder death stuff especially in horror movies but serial killers are like boring narcissists who enact violence on people i don't like like the modern cult of like serial killer stuff it just has never appealed to me yeah um but this is just like a really grounded uh movie from uh 86 um that is about a serial killer and uh how he works and it's just like it's like really good and uh michael rooker's the henry he's the serial killer in it um the guy from uh fucking uh all the uh james gunn movies <laughs> plays the guy the blue oh, guy the mohawk. Th- that guy yeah i know who you're yes. talking about <laughs> um and it's just scary and good um and it's always in everyone's best of horror list and i wrote it off for years and i finally watched it. i was like no this is the real shit um then i have house of the dead which is a 1978 movie that's on arrow um this is this is an anthology horror film which is already like you're either in or you're not. I love anthology horror movies. Most of them are terrible, but they're very fun to watch. Um, and it's about a guy who goes into a like mortuary to escape like the rain or someone trying to mug him. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. And the the he's clearly already dead. And the the funeral director leads him to four corpses that tell him the stories of these people who deserve what they got and they got what they got. You know that that sort of thing. Very stock of its time. Um, but one of them is. As I talked about when I talked about immortality, it's just like the craziest shit I've ever seen. It's about a a like New York Columbo style detective uh, who's like the only smart guy. He's like Will Graham and Columbo mashed together. They did a fusion dance. They turned to this fucking 70s man. Um, and he's the only detective in New York who knows what the fuck's going on when it comes to murder. 
and he's like trying to solve this like locked room mystery and all the cops are like i can't believe he did it and this guy walks into the room and he starts asking questions and he's the best detective from scotland yard this like walrusy blustery british guy Mm -hmm. um who's like channeling perot as hard as possible while still being british and not french it's very important that he's british um and they just start like needling each other. And I'm like, this is about these two. They're definitely going to try to kill each other. And that's absolutely what the short is about. These two, the best detectives in the world trying to like catch the other one in like, you're the murderer, aren't you? But, and then they end up like trying to murder each other because of that. And it's beautiful <laughs> and stupid and perfect. I was out of my mind the entire time the short was happening. This movie is like mostly fine. I had a good time, but you've got to watch it for this one piece where there's like this tweet that goes around. I said this on rep twice grannings. I'm sorry for duplicating podcast content. There's this tweet that goes around and it's like, um, Columbo fans are guys who snore like honk shoo, honk shoo. And Perot guys are guys who snore like pew, 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 pew. And that's what these two guys are. And they want to, mur- they're like in a, uh, locked in a Hannibal contest of murder each other. Uh, and it's perfect. It's the greatest short film ever made. <laughs> Um, and then the, my last entry is House, uh, the 1985 American horror movie about a novelist who's in a horror house and he's he's like haunted by like Vietnam stuff and it's very it's like both sometimes very silly and I remember sometimes it being like genuinely kind of effective but it's like a really goofy movie. Um, I just like it. I have a lot of affection for it and everyone always watches you know that house that everyone talks about the Japanese house which is a great movie. Don't get me wrong, not on Arrow, um, but you could watch the other house too and you have a pretty good time. That's it. That's what I got. Eleven movies. Um, Nia came back while you were gone. By the way, yeah. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, I had to go be a mom. This is what I happened. know. Um, you basically hit all the movies I was gonna mention. Um, I just, okay. um, I mean, you just have been at the like horror genre stuff a lot longer than I have. So, um, yes. Two things that you did not mention that I will shout out. One. Wolf guy, I've talked about it on it be- talked about it on this podcast before. Honestly, the farther we get away from this mo- the farther I get away from having watched Wolf guy, I don't remember what happens in that movie. I don't remember why I like it so much, but I do remember that getting high and watching Wolf guy was one of my best experiences watching a movie all year and I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, the other thing, uh a million caveats on this, but um I really like Santa Sangre. Um, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't need, I don't need to put this one down. There was a version on my list that had the blood, uh, the, the love witch, which also requires a million, million caveats because she's a fucking weird turf posting every day about her weird turf shit. Unsurprising to anyone, but I do like the blood witch or the love witch. I keep saying blood witch. Um, Jodorowsky is scum. <laughs> He's an awful yes, person, no, and I hate him. Um, I do like his movies quite a bit, though. I watched them all a long time ago. So I don't like his movies very much. However, Santa Sangre like, hit for me in a way that El Tapo mm-hmm. and The Holy Mountain did not. I, I thought those movies sucked. I like both those films. I like Santa Sangre. I think I like El Topo the most, which is funny, because you hated that movie. I hate El Topo. Yeah. Um, but Santa Sangre just like hit for me and I cannot tell you how it's different, but it is. Um, and so I was just going to shout that one out. <laughs> yeah. It does hit a little different. That's fair. Um, Nia movies on arrow that you want to like recommend to people. Um, I mean, I guess recommend is going to be broader. I had in my mind before 
we went into this like the, the question theme. specifically what is like your collection of films yeah which i do think is different than recommend and so yeah. I, I think like when i went into the question i was like okay i'm going to like part of this is knowing part of what i'm coming to arrow for which is just like mm-hmm. the japanese shit that i like uh-huh. so i have like the lineup of like i'm trying to create a, a somewhat condensed but like giving you some of the vibes of just japanese shit i like um so the first one is the mad fox i really enjoyed that movie um i'm just doing this in chronological order so it's just mm-hmm. progressing okay. from there um i talked about the mad fox on a previous podcast uh yeah. episode um just really delightful um and like the way it's playing with theater is fantastic um then the next one is eros and massacre not because it's anywhere near my favorite like uh art theater guild stuff but uh it's one of the art theater guild stuff that arrow has and mm-hmm. i love the art theater guild there's they just do a lot of cool stuff um like they put out a lot of cool stuff uh female prisoner number 701 scorpion i gotta watch that i know i'm gonna like it yeah it's good yeah yeah, yeah. um then i think the one i'm gonna do as the uh like representative yakuza movie is i have to like condense it down into something so i don't want to just do the first battles without because that's just i would want to do the all five films uh so specifically i'm going to do graveyard of honor um the the fugasaku kinji one um not the later remake by mike um although that one's fun too um then uh sailor suit and machine gun it's no no it's no yo-yo girl cop but it's in that vibe of a you know silk and steel that kind of shit uh-huh um and then uh, Tatsuo the Iron Man, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming it's already came. That, it yeah. already came up. Yes, I, it was on my list. Very yeah. high up. Um, and then I think you'll be pleased by this because I want something from Mike. I want something that's going to give a slightly different vibe than some of the other things. And so it would mm-hmm. be Happiness of the Katakuris that I put on mm-hmm. here. Even though I think I like that are alive two birds more as a movie you missed you missed a very lengthy pitch of me talking about why i like captain scott curry's when you left, yes so. they went long on it it was good yeah <laughs> i mean i'll look forward to listening to it i, I guess i specifically <laughs> watched it because i thought we were going to record weeks ago and i would be able mm-hmm. to talk to you about it on a podcast <laughs> yeah. it just did not work out multiple times now <laughs> it's fine the 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 there's a scene where like the mom and dad who've just been kind of harried this entire time have like a fucking love ballad where yeah a, like with karaoke sh- like yeah they they're doing wise. karaoke and then they like they, they it's like it's like the yakuza movies where it like cuts to them on a stage where she's in like an evening gown and he's in a suit and it's just singularly one of the most romantic things in cinema yeah i genuinely feel that in my heart <laughs> that sequence is fantastic i almost did it for that uh episode of stairwells but i just had to do mm-hmm. the like more the, obviously the goofy, over the top yes. goofy yeah. yes um that's fine i heard that song and i, I popped so i was like immediately scrambling to, to send you a message like oh my god um that's a really good movie though highly recommend it um circling back now to Nora's questions um as i let this cat into the closet um, 
Nora asked us a bunch of questions. Uh, some of them are very Nora, and I don't know that we'll have answers for them, but we'll do our best. First, what do you think Lynch's Return of the Jedi would have been like? Um, I think... I mean, definitely, like, Dune is more in the direction of what it would be. I I, I mean, it still would have been a Lucas script, right? Yeah. So... Yeah. Like, yeah. I think... I, I thought about Dune, and I was like, maybe he montages through some of the boring Endor shit and just focuses in on, like, Luke and Vader on the Death Star. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like you would have gotten more Luke as, like... There's there's a bit that's, like, basically not in the movie, but, like, the idea that Luke has just declared himself a Jedi Knight and only only says that, and, like, Yoda says he's ready, but Luke genuinely doesn't feel that he's ready. I feel like that's, like, a whole thing that Lucas, like, leaves on the table that I feel like Lynch would pick up on yeah. and, like, do more with. Yeah, I think you would get a little more of, like, the good part of that movie, which is, like, uh, Luke contemplating what he has to do and less of the bad part, which is everything else. Um, but I, I don't know that it would be that different because George Lucas still did write the damn movie. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, and he's, uh, throwing all the money behind it and he's George Lucas. And so he's going to have his say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it would probably like the Endor stuff would probably be short. I feel like the biggest is that would be shortened and it would be less like focus on the Ewoks as like the cute kids thing. Yeah. I do. Th I do think it wouldn't be as different as people would. Promise. No, no, I don't think so. Either. Yeah. I, I don't even know that it would be better. I think a lot of people throw that out there as like, oh, we don't like Return of the Jedi. What if Lynch had made it better? I think it might might be like marginally better. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to mm. be like dramatically. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, it would probably be less successful as like a blockbuster. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dune, sometimes not a very good movie. Sometimes a great movie and sometimes yeah. not. <laughs> anyway, uh, what's your favorite movie in which a god or gods takes one's... <laughs> takes on some kind of avatar or body. Not an angel, but that's God running around. Dragonlance has this and it's great. Do y'all got anything for this? I don't... <laughs> um, a movie where, like, a a, a deity. Uh-huh. And we're making a distinction between that and angels. Yes. Does, does like... I guess, it, like, does Last Temptation of Christ count? Because, like, it I should, mean, right? Yeah. And I think that's a really good movie. <laughs> But I, I know that's not what Nora means when Nora is asking this question. Yeah. However, I think the rest of like Christian society would deeply disagree with Nora's take on this one. <laughs> um, I got nothing. Um, I don't. I um, it's not very good, but I did enjoy the the Tarsum film. Um, what is that? Immortals. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Um. It's like the the least of the Tarsum films I've seen, but you know he still makes a movie that's visually arresting from time to time. I'm like in my mind puzzling over uh the Satan's Princess, which has turned out to be my favorite of the like dumb made for TV movies that I've just watched because I want to have something on in the background. Does that count? Because she's potentially Satan, <laughs> but I guess Satan oh, is yeah, an angel. Fair. Technically. Um, yeah, no, because I like my I originally also had I was like, I like Simone of the Desert, the Bunuel movie, but like yeah. that's also about 
Like Satan's a Satan's a devil. I mean, or, or, you know, Satan is an angel. That's what I'm going. If to we say. say Serial Experiments Lane is a movie, kinda. Yeah, it's not a movie. You can't yeah. say that, but <laughs> it is on Letterboxd. Um, yeah. That just led me to something that I was like, I'm. I had it. It was like, oh, I'm, oh. Rebels of the Neon God, if you kind of think about it too much, not really, but like, that it. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Not like literally, but figuratively. Figuratively. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's the sing- single coolest shot you can think of? Not a camera shot, but a gunshot shooting with a gun? Um, shooting with a gun. Every single time that someone shoots a gun in. Um, this is Stray Dog, the Kurosawa film, with the the police officer who loses. Yeah, um, that's Stray Dog. Yeah. Um, you googled Stray Dog and have gotten <laughs> the concept I, of Google dogs. Google should just understand <laughs> that I watch movies constantly. <laughs> why am I? Why would I Google Stray Dog the concept and not the movie? Google? You should know me better by now. <laughs> Uh, I will say that um, when the guy shoots the camera in the great train robbery, that's sick. When Joe Pesci does it in Goodfellas, boring. Silly. Yeah. it's my take. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for this. I'll be perfectly honest with you. No, I don't. I just can't think of a single, like, gun. Like, the worst, the worst thing. As I'm like, what's my what's my gut say as like, oh, this is a notable gun. And it's the fucking sniper from Evangelion where they use all the energy in Japan to fire a single sniper. I, that is a good sick. gunshot. <laughs> yes. My my brain also kind of went to sniper rifles for a minute. I was like, is there a good JFK assassination in a movie? I don't <laughs> uh shout out shout out to shout out to Molly, who does not listen to this podcast, I don't think, who just watched Kill Bill Volume One for the first time. And it does have that great POV shot of the sniper rifle going through that guy's head. Oh, yeah. Like the bullet going through his brain. Fucking sick. Oh yeah, that is sick. Yeah. I was I was talking to my friends today about Kill Bill, because Kill Bill is a weird movie, because like I'm not gonna be out here standing Tarantino too hard in 2022. And Kill Bill's like so popular that it almost feels like it doesn't need defense. But that movie I saw on a very wintry day, I guess I was 18, because I think that came out in November, um, where I just went to the movies. I don't typically go to the movies. I, at the time, I did not typically go to the movies. And I was like, I'm bored, stuck inside, played all my video games, and go to the fucking movies. And I just picked the most interesting thing that was playing. Had not, I knew what Tarantino was. I was like, I knew he made Pulp Fiction, but I didn't know what, the, I was like, oh, this assassin movie, didn't know he made it, didn't know fucking anything about it. And genuinely, I don't think I would be on this podcast today or know any of the people I know if I did not go see Kill Bill that day, um, because it blew my goddamn mind being like not a movie person. <laughs> it, I, I had a similar. I mean, like we rented Pulp Fiction, but like would not this podcast would not exist if not for Pulp Fiction? Like just straight up, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, after that movie, I was like, oh fuck, this was crazy, and then like, yeah. You know, got his the Blu-ray, the DVDs of the rest of his movies, and watched all of them, and like that's what got me into like watching film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part part of this for me is like, uh, especially hearing you say that M two, I'm like, I really just have been like a movie person for fucking ever. Because <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I, I watched, genuinely like... just I can point the day I decided to get into movies. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
I like I just can't think of a time when I wasn't like into movies in some way. There's a mm-hmm. part where I it like became a uh, a thing that I was more conscious of. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. just because movies were just I mean I it was a family of five. You could rent a movie at like Blockbuster or Family Video was the one that we rented from. Um and that's cheap and you, the whole family watches it. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't matter yeah. that I'm five, we're just all going to watch the fucking Shining. Um, yeah, see, I I didn't grow up with any like my mom liked horror movies, and I got her love of horror movies from that. And like I watched like stuff all the time, but I was not like I'm. Everyone I knew was like a movie person was always a movie person. No, like I literally just remember the day I picked up being a movie person. Yeah, because <laughs> I I love Kill Bill Volume One. It's like my favorite Tarantino film, specifically because it's pulling from like the shit you like, the shit I like. <laughs> but I watched it being like. I've seen some of these movies already that he's uh-huh. pulling yeah. from. I I not. I'd never seen any of that um, shit. I I barely watched anime that wasn't like Sailor Moon and DBZ. Um, I I don't I think I I don't think I'd seen a movie that wasn't in English at that point in my life. Yeah, it's just I was already I was on that beat in like middle school. Yeah, exactly. Like it yeah. just hit real hard because that. I started so I with will always cinema. like. Believe it yeah. or not, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine um i do think that um you know he gets a lot of shit and most much of it is very earned at this point you can do better but like people can start movies from wherever mm-hmm. it doesn't matter yeah nora's last question uh orson wells is transported into the last movie you watched that wasn't for a podcast what's he cast as nora says i don't think he would have saved coda and the barbarian 2011 but who knows maybe uh, Orson Welles is the baby in the carriage going down the stairs in <laughs> Battleship Presumption. <laughs> Orson Welles is um, the shithead doctor um, who gets decapitated in um, Reanimator. And then. God. <laughs> you get Orson Welles' head in the tray, like drinking up blood and, you know, yeah. sexually violating a co ed. <laughs> Orson Welles is Christine. The car? It's, instead of playing music, it's now just Orson Welles' voice coming out of that radio. Fuck. I love this. this <laughs> the is script is unchanged otherwise. Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Still refers to the car as Christine and a girl. I thought you were going to say that Orson Welles is like, the Harry Dean Stanton cop that shows up an no. hour in. <laughs> no. It's the car. <laughs> we uh, have precedent for this. Yeah, I guess he was that one Transformer. <laughs> um, last but not least, uh, Marin asks, who's your favorite Hamlet guy? Any any Hamlet productions or adaptations uh, you particularly love? That fucking Russian, that Soviet... <laughs> Hamlet, that movie's fucking good. Go watch it. Uh, there's no adaptation that I particularly love. I've seen a couple that are like, like I saw the David Tennant one. I've seen the Kenneth Branagh one. I've seen, I've seen a couple of like very straightforward adaptations of Hamlet. Nothing that's like, oh, this is really like shaking it up. Just like, oh, I like that actor more or less than another. I'm trying to think of who my favorite character in Hamlet is. I think is. the... I think the only film version of Hamlet I've seen is the Zeffirelli one. And I saw it in high school and not since then, Um, which is not like 
I I don't I don't remember liking Hamlet that much. Like I've I've read a good amount of Shakespeare, and I remember it being one of the ones I liked the least of like the big ones. Um, favorite guy would probably be Polonius. He just fucking sucks. Um, I love a guy who sucks. I don't I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. So I took um my junior year of high school. I was in like an advanced English class. And then my senior year, I was in just the regular English class. And then like my second year of college or something, I was in a like introduction, like, like theater as literature. We were reading a bunch of plays basically. Um, Mm -hmm. And somehow for all three of these classes, I ended up reading Hamlet. Um, (laughs) That's, oh, that sucks. That fucking sucks. And so I have a really weird, like I've read, um, Romeo and Juliet, I've seen that Joss Whedon Much Ado About Nothing, and then I'm really deeply familiar with Hamlet, and I really love Hamlet, but I'm, like, woefully underread on most other things Shakespeare in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I, we, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet in, like, what, the eighth grade English, probably, mm-hmm. and I feel like we hit one every year. And I did like, I doubled, I took like two different lit classes. Most people only took one because I just liked it. And then I took AP lit and then I took a Shakespeare class in college. So I've read, I think every major one other than Julius Caesar, which is the, somehow I fucking missed Julius Caesar. I don't even know how that happened. Um, but I've literally been thinking lately, what if I just went back and read all the fucking Shakespeare? It's not, I wouldn't take that long. I've been thinking mm-hmm. about it because like, I could just pick up a bunch of like audiobooks, you know, yeah, and just yeah, like, yeah. It would be fun to hear people read those and not just like read it myself. So I I gave out in our group chat just two weeks ago about how much I like Henry, the Henry V as an incredible story about how hard it is to be a king, um, which is my shit entirely. I, d- I love a king who suffers because it's hard to be king. I definitely um, got the idea for what if I did a bunch of Shakespeare audiobooks from the Henry V episode <laughs> of Star going Trek. On about, yeah, um, I, I love Henry V. The, the Branagh version is really good. Uh, that that's uh, probably my favorite brand. I haven't seen all the Branagh productions, but that of the ones I've seen, it's my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, the the thing is that like I think as a play, I like Macbeth more. Mm-hmm. But I like the adaptations of Hamlet. It's like the one that I have enjoyed adaptations of the most and Mm -hmm. the soviet one is like the most it's like a very direct like we're doing it it's like set in the period you know um obviously there's translation happening but otherwise it's like a pretty straight adaptation um but then like uh the bad sleep well is just a fucking phenomenal movie Mm -hmm. it's my favorite of like the shakespeare adaptations that kurosawa did and it's one of the loosest that he did um, and so it's my favorite for like really just like riffing on the, the base play, but not really doing, not trying to adapt, adapt it in any like direct literal way. I will say that my favorite mm-hmm. like Shakespeare, like adaptation that I have seen is definitely Throne of Blood. Throne yeah. of Blood is so fucking good, dude. <laughs> Throne of Blood's fucking good. Um, um, I am a little cooler on Throne of Blood than you are just generally. I think it's like fine, but it's it's not my favorite uh it's not my favorite Kurosawa like 
uh, Jidai Geki, and it's also not my favorite Kurosawa Shakespeare adaptation, but also I just mm-hmm. love Kurosawa a lot, so it's still really good. I don't know why, it's just fair. like, it, it hits for both of, for both of those categories for me, but I haven't yeah. seen a ton of his Shakespeare stuff, so. Yeah. Um, I guess, um, the, the guy who did the Soviet Hamlet also did a King Lear, like, a decade later or something. Hmm. So, I might try and hunt that down, because I... That sounds kind of interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, mostly just because if I want somebody who's going to do like a direct edit, God damn the cinema, like, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes you just shoot like a massive castle that you built for a movie. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. M, where could people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can find all of my podcasts at abnormalmapping.com. I have a movie podcast called Reptory Screenings. that usually comes out every two weeks. We've had a bit of a time. Destiny's starting a new term in grad school, and it's just been a little rough. Um, and I've had COVID and shit. It's, we're about to watch uh, The Apartment, which will be good. Um, if you'd like to support my podcasts, I only say that because there's often movie stuff there. You can go to patreon.com session mapping for $5 a month. You get blockbusters once a month. Me and my friend Jackson sit down and watch a, usually a big Hollywood movie and talk about how people who write Hollywood scripts are fucking unhinged. Um, and we're going to have autumn on literally next week to talk about the iron giant. Oh, so, right. That's next week. I thought it was two weeks yes. from now. I'm excited. No. Ah, yeah. Um, so that should be fun. Um, because that's a perfect blockbusters film. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look forward to that. Nia, where can people find you? People can find me at Nia on Twitter and co-host. Uh, and Letterboxd, I guess, if you want to follow me there. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers. That's an anime podcast. Um, currently airing, like being released are the episodes that we did with you, Autumn on serial experiments lane yeah um and so i mean the next one when people hear this is going to be the the conclusion of our discussion which the episode was really good i think both of them turned out well because uh one of them both you and connor had no fucking idea what the series even was and so we were just talking about vibes and then the second one was like us yeah packing everything that it was so yeah uh that's like the best way to get a short two episode discussion yeah, totally. Um, and you can also listen to Pondering Putan, which is a comedy podcast where Connor and I... Fucking stupid as shit. Yeah, read through <laughs> uh, Cromartie High School one chapter at a time and sometimes talk about it. And there might be some episodes where we don't talk about it at all. And you Have might you say, how is this about Cromartie High School? But the humor of Cromartie High School is still embedded into that podcast i don't recall you ever talking about cromarty high school this cromarty high you have school not podcast. listened to the latest episode okay uh you can find me on twitter at autumnal underscore coffee you can find me on co-host at autumnal you can go to exportaud.io. that takes you to the patreon page where we have links to all the free feeds or you can give us a dollar a month you get this podcast early you get gotham city limits early a bunch of other stuff five dollars a month normally i plug pop town funk i mentioned that earlier more what I want to plug is um, if you scroll back uh, to July, I want to say, in the feed, um, there is a VoIP Life episode, which is normally a, an abnormal mapping podcast. Uh, it's expensive. It's $10. I appreciate everyone who listens, but yes. it is pricey. Um, but if you want to just pay $5 and get 
exactly one episode of VoIP Life, you will get the Ornate Stairwells repertory screenings crossover uh, that was really fucking good. Like, one of our favorite podcasts we've done. So, yeah, yeah, people should go give us $5 for that. Or give $10 a month to, to Abnormal Mapping. Do both. Yeah. If you would like to see the infinite movie list we generated on that episode of VoIP Life, you can go to the Abnormal Mapping Discord. It's like abnormalmapping.com. There is an export channel there. That's where people react to all of these shows, really. Um, and all of our movie lists, of which we each made three lists, are up there. Yeah. They're pinned, I believe. So you can find them pretty easy. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. They're in the pins. So. Of network chat. I was literally just looking at them to confirm that they were there. And yes, they're there. That's going to do it. Yeah. Okokoro is real? Okokoro is real. That's not true. It's just Yuri business.
Thank <laughs> you.